it's good to share another resurrection day. Uh, and I want to go through some things real quickly here today as we have been on a continual theme on uh, being anointed to be able to uh, say that I will never beg bread and I will never be defeated. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's necessary. It's important in this day and time for us to be able to know that there's no weapon form, there's no enemy, there's no set of circumstances that can defeat us. Now, Elder Paul has read the, the narrative of the event at the tomb. Uh, first day of the week, the women came, they planned to anoint the body of Jesus and found he wasn't there. And then, of course, uh, he gave out his instructions uh, that the disciples might be for, known, uh, informed because they didn't come and they were not there. Um, and then told us to go forth that he's got all power in his hand. Now, I want to read a verse uh, from the Gospel of Luke in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke that has been a fond uh, verse for me for some time. I've not read it recently. And I'm reminded of my fondness of it. And it reads that Jesus is speaking. And as we're talking about or preaching, much desirous that if have not over this past few days, certainly now, that you will be able to walk free from this house into whatever trails or places you must travel and know assuredly that you will never be defeated and that you will never be bred. It's most important. Uh, for the enemy is like a roaring lion these days. And there need to be people who we cannot challenge. But, um, well, I think I'll start at verse 16 because it sets the stage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised is my anointing, he says. And to preach the acceptable year. Actually, Isaiah said this initially. He is not the progenitor of these words. Isaiah, the prophet, and you heard me read where he went to Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1. I'm not going to go there, but the prophet Isaiah says the same thing, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And in one of the other books, book of Matthew, gospel chapter 11, there John the baptizer is now in prison. He's been arrested for making statements regarding the head of state. 
who was uh, Herod and his wife Herodias and their marriage. And uh, all the good people said that the preacher ain't supposed to be involved in politics. And so John meddled in politics and spoke out against the head of state and they put him in jail. And after sitting there for a brief time, the Bible says in Matthew's Gospel chapter 11 that John wondered why Jesus didn't come to break him out. So he sent a couple of his disciples on one of their visits to go check out with Jesus why he had not come to set him free. And Jesus sent this report back to John. You'll read it yourself in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. But Jesus sent this report back to John that I've not come to rescue you or to bust you out of jail. And I know you've asked the question, am I the one that was promised or the one that I have proclaimed you to be or should we look for another? And Jesus told the disciples to take the message back to John that the poor are having the gospel preached to them and that I'm living amid the poor people. When I go to bed at night wherever I camp, it's amid the poor people. And when I rise in the mornings, it's amid the poor people. You tell John that. You tell John that I got a breakfast program where I feed hungry children Whosoever will, let him come every morning between 7.30 and 8.30. And I will feed them a meal made from scratch. Not something that's ready made, ready to eat from New York City where you pop it in a microwave. But my cooks make the food to order. You can come up to the window if you're poor, barefoot, and hungry, and you live in this neighborhood, or if you can get here from any other town. And stand at the window and say, I want my waffles, banana or strawberry. And I'll have my grit slowly stirred with a pad of butter. You tell them that after the breakfast program, you go and tell John that after the breakfast program, the teachers assemble and they come to the altar. And poor children who come from dark and dank and cold homes and broken places, that they come to the altar and they sing songs about me. And about my word. And the teachers gather and fortify themselves. And then they set out for a day of teaching. Both the curriculum that's necessary for them to succeed in any profession. Whether it be astronomy or medicine or law or anything else. That they're well prepared. You tell John that that's what I'm doing. You tell John that I'm scouring the streets and the airways with the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. You tell John when you get back, you deliver this message to him that I'm fighting against the court systems. I'm fighting against liberalism. I'm fighting against those who are against God's word. I'm fighting against those who say that love is the way. I'm fighting against those that are lying on me. You go back and tell John. You go back and tell him. You go back and tell him. That's what I'm doing. And that's what my anointing calls for. That's what my degree states that I'm most capable and trained at doing. Yeah, you go tell him. You go tell him quick. And so I wanted to, I wanted to say that because many years ago, I sat in a jail cell uh, called the Brooklyn House of Detention on the seventh floor. And uh, I was as lost as I could be. A young man who had lost my way. And the, the error, the problem there is that I didn't know that I was lost. 
I just thought it was a phase of something that was happening and would soon come to pass. But I was lost. And I sat down. It was in July and that jail was hot. The jail was made out of nothing but concrete and steel. And by July, it had warmed up from the preceding days and nights of summer of that year. And the heat just never dissipated. Every day would pour more heat into those bars and into that steel and it would retain it. So the way we coped with it, we who were prisoners, was that we stripped down to our underwear because any clothing just made the suffocation all more. No windows open because they think you'll have an escape. There was no windows to be open. No air staring and certainly no air conditioning or cable television. And so as I sat there in my underwear in that jail cell, all I had was a Bible that my grandmama had given to me that I didn't think very much of. But she told me to read Psalm 37, and I did. I had that Bible, I had a pack of cigarettes, and I had my, I had my grandmama, and I was there in that jail cell with nothing but my underwear. And I want to tell you, I won't go through all the details, I will label you with that today, but I don't tell you, Jesus anointed me. I asked him for the David anointing. I asked him if he would look upon me as he did his servant David, and he anointed me. Now, I spent three more years in jail. I didn't get out. That was not what happened. But I spent three more years. But that pack of cigarettes and that Bible was all I had to my name. Now, a lot of the people in jail, they were... It was during the time of Nixon's impeachment. A number of them, Stokely Carmichael, had risen up and had designed this phrase that was catching and feel like fire all over the place. Black power, he was saying. A number of others were grumbling in the civil rights movement and just a number of things people were saying about the white man and this man and that one. And all of my inmates and fellow inmates and prisoners all went their way. Some went to black power. Some went to black Muslims, and some went to black whatever it was that was available. Some went to civil rights. But I stayed with Jesus. I didn't become a Muslim. I didn't become a black panther. I didn't become a black power person. I stayed with Jesus. I got rid of that pack of cigarettes, held on to my Bible, and ever since that day, I've been preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to be able to get that out to here today, let you know why I'm here. In the event, in the event you think somehow or another that I'm short for this journey. But before I go further, I want to say a word of congratulations or praise, if you will, thanksgiving more appropriately, to preachers, men who helped me when I came out of prison with nothing but prison clothes. They knew I was an ex-convict. They knew it. And yet they helped me. They were men of prestige, men who were pastors of churches for many years. And at the appropriate time, they came and laid their hands on me. But I want to start by recognizing pastors. And always on Easter Sunday, it's a very trying time for pastors, many of them in competition about how many people they can pack in on Easter Sunday. Because, you know, people, Christians go to church twice a year. They go to church on Easter, they go to church on Christmas, and after that, you can't find them. So they immense competition. But I want to honor the good Reverend uh, McDuffie of the uh, Jones Chapel Baptist Church in Red Springs, North Carolina today. 
and uh, the Reverend Mitchell of the Spring Grove Church in uh, Rayford, it's a place, North Carolina. And Reverend Panky, a Baptist pastor who I live near. And Reverend Fowley, a Methodist, United Methodist pastor who I live near as well. And of course, with much thanksgiving to Pastor Millard Alexander Stanley, who took me in as an ex-convict while I was wearing convict clothes. I still had on my prison garb when he took me in. Trusted me with his car. Trusted me with his church. Trusted me with all that he had. Trusted me with his life. And I want to thank him for allowing me to continue my anointing through what Jesus did to me in that jail cell that night. I want to thank Reverend Monroe Wall of the Mount Calvary Baptist Church who fought off the demons who were trying to prevent me from becoming pastor. I want to thank Reverend Herbert Hoover Glenn who uh, used to preach in this church many, many years, also gave me an opportunity. Reverend Dr. Earl B. Moore of St. Paul's Baptist Church here on 132nd Street, who ordained me, and uh, knowing that I was a prisoner, he was head of the prison department. Reverend Ariel Harden of Brooklyn, New York, and Reverend John Paul Latson of Second Canaan, I mourn for him, and Reverend Bryant of the Legree Baptist Church, and Reverend Hudson Green, of the uh, Baptist Temple Baptist Church and Reverend Dr. Earl Johnson of Mount Moore. I want to say a word about that. And that's just some of the men that made it possible for me to be able to continue the anointing that Jesus put on me. Now, I want to say another word, and I'm going to let y'all go. We've been preaching all week, all weekend. Y'all probably want to do some Easter shopping or something. I don't know. Um, but, but I want to say this, that I, I am just getting started with preaching. Um, I know it's been a goodly number of years. I know that. And I know I don't have as much hair as I used to have. I know that too. But what I want you to know in the event you are interested and what most assuredly I want the devil to know, I'm just getting started preaching God's word. I'm, I'm, I haven't put my shoes on yet. I've, I've gotten up from my stupor and my sleep in the world. I'm awakened to the power of the gospel. I'm awakened to the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm awakened to the power of the fire burning word of God. I'm awake now. I'm no longer asleep. I'm, I'm no longer in darkness anymore. I'm, I'm awake now. I haven't put on my shoes yet. I, have put on my garment, but I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach. And I want folk to know that. And I want the devil to know. I want him to know and everybody else who's interested. I'm not going to stop preaching, Sister McFarquhar. Uh, I'm not going to stop preaching until every father is a true father to his children. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm not going to stop. I, I I ain't gonna let I ain't gonna let no man rest who is not taking care of his responsibilities. I'm gonna keep on preaching. I'm not gonna stop preaching to every woman who's lonely at night, who is afraid of every sound in the house at night, who has to get up and check out what is going on. I'm not gonna stop preaching until she can sleep 
in a man's arms who has big muscles and who is strong and who assured sir, that all is well. I ain't going to stop preaching as long as there are lonely women struggling to put food on the table and blankets on the bed. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm not going to stop preaching here in Harlem or anywhere else my voice can be heard. Where there's a homeless man, where there's a man sitting on the corner, hasn't had a shave, hasn't changed his underwear. He used to be a business owner. He used to be somebody's husband. He used to be somebody's son. But somehow or another, he lost his way. He fell from grace. He lost his money. He lost his house. He has nowhere to go. He sleeps on the street. I'm not going to stop preaching until he is set free and that God has given him a demolition. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. To everybody who is afraid of the circumstances that lie ahead of them, I'm not going to stop. Until everybody who has fears regarding their condition, not knowing whether, when, or how, I'm not going to stop to fear, cannot find an inhabitant, no place on planet earth, even in the devil's children themselves. I'm going to preach, fear thou not, for thou art with the Lord God is with you, whithersoever I go. I ain't going to stop. I ain't going to stop preaching. No, I gave up that pack of cigarettes. And I've held on to this Bible that my grandmama gave me. And I'm not going to stop preaching until every sick person, diseases perhaps that have not been thought of, but I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to hide my face in the bosom of God and I'm going to keep on praying till every disease is afraid to hear my name. Not only am I going to rebuke it, but every disease such as cancer or anything else, if they hear the name James David Manning, they'll start running for the heat. Every disease. I'm not going to I'm not going to stop. No, I ain't going to stop. I'm not going to stop preaching. To every unemployed man who doesn't have a job, doesn't have a work, is down on himself, doesn't have an income, can't pay his own bills, can't buy his own toilet paper, don't own a fork nor a knife, don't know how to hang curtains, ain't been on a job in so long you don't know what a job is. I'm not going to stop, stop preaching until God gets him gainfully employed. If he can't get a job working for the business of some other kind of corporation, then we're going to put him in the work of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop it. I said, like they said in the song of old, I'm no ways tired. I, I just got started with this. I want y'all to know that. And I'm not going to stop preaching. No, I don't care what you say or what you do. I don't care what stone you throw or lie you tell. I ain't going to stop preaching till the prison bars are emptied out and you can't even find a mouse inside of the local prisons or jailhouses. I'm going to empty out the prisons that have become an army for Almighty God. I'm not going to stop preaching. Every prisoner is set free. No, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. No, I'm going I'm to keep on preaching. i tell you this, I'll say just in case you see me take a bit of a break. Maybe you see me go on vacation a time or two. Maybe go somewhere to a beach and put my toe in the water and have a day in the sunshine. That don't mean I'll stop. I'm still doing battle. 
I can do long distance prayer. I can, I can do long distance preaching. I have an internet system. Well, I'm not talking about Facebook and everybody. No, I have, a, I have a telephone line directly to heaven. Out of my heart, right to the heaven power of God. I ain't going to stop. No. I ain't going to stop. Now, I'll tell you something. I made a commitment when I got rid of that pack of cigarettes that I would never appear before Jesus lazy, complaining, grumbling, or comparing. I'll never stand in Jesus' face saying I'm too tired to pray. Never. I'll never stand in his face being lazy of spirit and hoping that the prayer time is over with soon so I can go about the business of the world. No, no, I'll never appear before him complaining and I ain't gonna never appear before him unclean or ashamed. I'm standing here right now and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Greek first and to the Jew first and then to the Greek and also to the Hamites and Canaanites and hallelujah and boom shakalaka goes right there. Now, I tell you, I tell you, uh, I tell you that I want to give a warning to the devil. I know he's listening. He always is. Then he steals what I say and try to make it his own. But I want to give a warning to the devil that uh, I serve him. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not the NAACP. I'm sorry if that's your route. Not the spirit of the black power nor the black panthers. That's, that spirit is not on me. I'm sorry. Well, I ain't sorry, but I understand. No, it's the spirit of the living God that's on me. I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. You hear what Jesus said? He have anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm not running for a bunch of highfalutin people, got a whole lot of money, want to sit up and tell me what to do. Want to buy me with their money. No, he sent me here to Harlem. And I ain't leaving. Until everybody here is rich in the power of Almighty God. The only way out you can ever get me out of Harlem. You listen to this very carefully. The only way you can get me out of Harlem. Now, you can't tempt me with a house in Tarrytown. Or someplace else up north in Westchester County. No, you can't give me a mansion somewhere up there. Or out there in Long Island. Or somewhere out there in New Jersey, get me out of Harlem. No, a mansion won't get it. Two mansions won't get it. Swimming pool and four-car garage won't get it. The only thing that will get me out of Harlem is when every man in Harlem is a millionaire and he's taking care of his family and his children. Then I might decide to leave. But until that happens, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying right here. I want the devil to know that. Want him to understand it because I think he don't. He thought maybe he could buy me. No, no, that ain't going to happen. And I want the devil to know. I don't care, mama, grandmama, or anybody else. I want the devil to know that I'm going to defeat you. Yes, I am. I am sick and tired of you. I'm, I'm sick of the lies you tell, the diseases that you spread. No, I'm going to get you. No, I'm after you. 
There ain't no place you can either hide nor run. I'm going to get you, devil. I'm going to get you. I got the word of God in my mouth. I got the anointing of God on my life. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. For what you've done to people. The hurt. All the families that you've broken up and destroyed. All the children you've made fatherless. All the police that have shot men in the back. I'm going to get you, devil. I'm going to get you. No, I don't need the office of the president or cabinet or vice president or the Supreme Court on my side. I got the word of God. I got the power of God's word. I'm going to get you, devil. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. All power. All power. All power. All power. Ah, I want you to know I'm not finished with you. So I, I want the devil to know that. I want him to understand. I'm no ways tired and I ain't going to quit. And you can't make me. It's too soon to quit. I told a joke the other day, nobody laughed. I ain't going to tell it no more. Well, maybe I will. Because I told you I this joke. I said, I went to the doctor the other day. He said, yeah. The doctor said, yeah. I said, yeah. And the doctor said, he said, now you better hurry up. You preach. I said, yeah. He said, well, the doctor said, you better hurry up and do what you got to do. I said, why? He said, you don't have much more time to preach. Uh, I said, why not? He said, well, you know, looking, looking at your chart, you only got about 35 more years. I said, what? Are, now, that's supposed to be a joke. Doctor don't give nobody 35 years. <laughs> so I know, Doc, I started complaining. I said, Moses had more than that. I mean, why come out here? Anyway, no, it's too soon to quit. It's too soon to give up on God. It's too soon to give up on seeing children with their fathers being walked to school in clean, safe streets. It's too school. It's too soon. It's too soon to give up on the people who know about this church, about the family members who won't come here and help us. It's too soon to give up. I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm going to keep on till the children can come and be taught by the power of loving teachers. It's too soon to quit. I ain't giving up yet. No, I ain't closing down nothing. Ain't giving up nothing. And you can't make me close it. And so I want the devil, no, I can't be bought. No, the devil tried to buy Jesus. No, you can't give me a big name. No, that's, I, I already got one. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't give me a big house. I already got. Well, I got a house, and I'm happy. I thank God for that. No, you can't buy me. I can't be bought. You can offer me money, but I've already been paid for. I already got a master. I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar tried to give them a big table, give them a whole lot of uh, prostitute girls, and, uh, and give them a big name and a fancy food to eat and a nice garment to put on. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego got up and, and put a song together. It's called the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Trio. They said, no, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't go. No, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, we already got a God. No, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, we will go into the fire, but we ain't going to go with you, and we are not for hire. And good God Almighty, and hallelujah, and I'm becoming a rapper as I go along. <laughs> I'm becoming a rapper as I go along. <laughs> Praise Almighty God. No, I, uh, no, you can't buy me. Republican Party can't buy me. Democrat Party can't buy me. Obama can't buy me. Nobody else. I've already been paid for. I already got power. I don't need no office. Anything below this is a step down. So I, I want to give God the praise. I want to give the Lord praise for that. Now, I'm going to keep on preaching everybody. Y'all stand up. I, I'm going to have to sit down. 
No, uh, no, uh-uh. Uh, I, I've been anointed. I'm not appointed. No, I've been anointed. I don't know if you understand what that means. Uh, there's been something that put on me that has, it, it, you can't create it. Man can't make it. It has no seed where you can make another one. I've been anointed. You understand that? No, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I've been anointed to preach to the brokenhearted. I've been anointed. That's what I've come here to do. When that's over with, then we'll find out what else God wants me to do. But the Lord has anointed me to preach. And uh, I want to speak that word over you here today. I want you to know that whatever enemy you have today is my enemy. I want you to know that they need that enemy, that devil, needs to be afraid of me. When I open my mouth and I declare the power of the blood of Jesus, there ain't no weapon formed that shall prosper. And every word that the devil says will be proven to be what it is, what it always has been, what it always will be, which is a lie, a lie from the pit of hell. No, I, I ain't going to stop. I'm not here because someone suggested to me that I should preach because my father was a preacher. No, I'm not here because I heard the choir singing and the preacher bidding people to come down the aisle. That's not why I'm here. God Almighty, his name is Jesus, has sent me. And I'm not moving nor leaving until I hear my master say, well done, James David Madden. Well done, Lord's servant. Well done of healing cancer. Well done. Well done for healing broken homes. Well done for giving children back their fathers. Well done for giving men back their dignity. Well done for people, people, teaching people about the power of the word of God. I'm not finished. No, I'm no ways tired. In the event the devil thinks somehow or another because of the things that have been done against us and against this church of late, that somehow or another I'm tired or that I will not go any further. No, I just got started. You haven't seen me put on my gospel shoes yet. Wait till I do that. Then you're really going to have to see something. But I come here today to tell you that I need y'all to help me. You need to understand if the Lord can anoint me uh, with a Bible and a pack of cigarettes. He knew I had them cigarettes sitting right there on that little old table. I tell you what I also had done, I stole stolen a cup. You know, the jailhouses, they won't let you have cups because they're made out of metal. They let you drink and then they take it back because they figure you'll take it and make a knife or a shiv or something out of it. So they collect the cups. Well, I went in jail because I was a thief. I, that's what I did, what, what got me in there. So I figured out how to steal cups, even though they counted them up, they couldn't figure So I stole a cup. Yeah, I did. I stole a cup while I was in jail. I was still stealing, still smoking, still lying, still carrying on. But Jesus came in that cell that day. He knew I stole that cup. <laughs> Jesus knew I stole this all stolen merchandise. He saw that pack of cigarettes there, but it didn't stop him. Now, if Jesus thought enough to come see me when my wife wouldn't come see me while I was in jail. Now, nah, hell no, I ain't quitting. I'm, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. I'm pre I ain't quitting. No, nah, no. Nah. No, no. You can stay in this church if you want. Or you can go to Reverend Rabbitfoot. Or you can go to 23rd Psalm Baptist. You can go where you want. I'm still preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to stop until the captives are set free. Now, I am going to sit down now. But that don't mean I'm tired. That don't mean I quit. Because I might get back up again. So, 
We better take up the offering real quick. Praise the Lord. Us as quickly. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Turn around and tell you. Well, no. Lift your hand, your right hand to Jesus and say, I, I want that anointing. I want that. I want, I want that. I want to, I want to, oh Lord, I want to serve the poor. Good God Almighty, I want to fix breakfast. I want to fix breakfast for the poor. Lord have mercy, Jesus Christ, I didn't know. God, I didn't know there's such power in serving the poor, serving the homeless, visiting the prisons. Lord, I want that anointing. Lord, clean my heart. Lord, I, I, want, to, I want to help homeless people. I want to help sick, drug addicted people. I want to tell fathers the truth. I want to tell women the truth. Lord, I want that anointing. Say it. I want 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 it. Glory to God. And you can tell the devil that, that Pastor Manning ain't going to stop preaching until Harlem becomes outlaw and hallelujah and boom shakalaka goes right there as well. Glory to God. You, you may take your seats. Thank for these young men over here. Well, my friends, we thank God for this Holy Week, this resurrection time. I want to ask you to give an offering, if you will. Give something for the work of feeding the poor and the hungry and for taking care of our expenses here. The ushers will hand you an envelope. Give. Will you do that? And then we're going to have the Lord's table. Pray that you'll stay and receive the Holy Eucharist of the Lord Jesus Christ. But give something to help us with our ministry here today. You're sitting here. And be generous. Be generous. We got a lot of children we got to feed in this, in this community. There's a whole lot of hungry people. Give generously. Give today. A whole lot of homeless people that we're trying to help provide shelters for in this church. Give. A lot of naked people that need clothes. Give. Give generously. And the Bible says that you give and it shall be given unto you a great reward. That's right. It'll be poured back into your blessings, blessings running over uh, if, if you give. So I want to ask you to do that. Help me preach this gospel. Maybe you can't stand up here like me and carry on like I've done. But you can give so I don't have to worry about how we're going to keep the lights on. How we're going to keep the building heated. How we're going to feed these children that's going to come to our door all next week. Well, next week we're going to be shut down. But you know, we make our meals from scratch. That's right. These young men over here, they're going, they got a job playing at a local restaurant. Look at them. They ain't even 15 years old yet. They done got high. The anointing of God is upon them. Praise the Lord. They're going downtown tomorrow night. By the way, there'll be no live Manning report. I trust the Lord tomorrow. Uh, yeah, we'll get back up live on Tuesday. But I'm going down to watch these brothers make their debut at that restaurant down in Alphabet City. Praise the Lord. All the Lord is blessing, I tell you. Now, God Almighty, his name is Jesus. He's blessing. So we give God the praise. Give to us today, would you, online. You know where you are. Go ahead. Help me do this work. You know me. You know me. You know who I am. You know what's up. Praise Almighty God. Hallelujah. Go ahead and spread the word. Sister McFarquhar, I like what you said. Elder Paul as well, but come on in this church. Come on up in here. That's right. You're going to hear the truth in here. Don't be offended. Just come on in.
sit down for seven years before you open your mouth. And then you'll learn something, then you'll know what to say. But start talking too soon, you're going to get in trouble. You'll be talking that stuff in the other church you've been to, and that other stuff out there in the world, and that don't go nowhere. But uh, we give God the praise. We pray that people will hear us. We do need people to come with a willing heart and help us in the work that we're doing. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done, to be sure, but thought maybe that'd be an invitation for people to put their hands to the gospel plow. Praise his name. Glory to God. I want to bow my knee once again and I want to recount the event of the flames outside of our church. Um, And I want to ask the Lord to help me to communicate what I felt. The artist sees a sunflower and he sees a sunset and he paints what we all see but he sees more deeply. Um, I was in this church preaching and a number of members of this church rose up and turned their backs to my preaching. And they began to pray and speak against me as the preacher and pastor. And when I saw their actions, I became furious. And I ran from the pulpit to where they were and accosted them as to why they had turned their backs on me. Why they were praying against me. And they argued biblically what their reasons were. And they were very proud of their reasons. And they were staunch in what they were saying. And they were united against me. And as I was arguing with one of the men, there were men and women. As I was arguing with one of the men, I heard the sound of a strange organ and then somebody said look and I looked and outside of this church was a wall of fire flames leaping and dancing and licking and when the person said look all the people that had opposed me that had turned their backs and that had prayed against me were being drawn to the fire The man I was arguing with no longer had any concern with me whatsoever, but in a gaze as if he was hypnotized and all the others, they marched towards the flames. I have had a lot of experiences. This is outside of the vision now. And I've met the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know what that feels like. I've never felt anything like what I felt when I saw that wall of flames. One woman in particular had on a multicolored leather jacket, green and red and splotches of colors. And as they all were drawn to that flame as if they were hypnotized, she looked back as if she wanted to cry and say, save me. But I couldn't help her and she couldn't speak. The man that left me 
and was drawn to the flames as well. And none could resist the flames as they went into that burning hell. And I, I, I pondered, I spoke yesterday about this briefly. I pondered it all night last night because the feeling that I had when I saw those flames and how those people outside this church were drawn into that fire and they could not resist. There's nothing, they couldn't even speak. They just had to go. And so I asked the Lord early this morning, what does that mean? He didn't answer me, but what I've come to term, because I've never felt anything like that before. What I've come to understand, that it was death. I've never been dead before, so I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it feels like to be just one breath away from death. And you can't stop it. You know it's coming. And maybe even after that breath has exhausted and you're dead, maybe there's still some ability to recognize that you're dead and you can't turn around. You can't turn around. You can't speak. You can't ask for help. And that's what it was. It was death. I've never felt that before. It doesn't feel good. I, I, I can't explain to you what it's like, but it was death that I felt as those people that had opposed me were now drawn. But it wasn't just death. It was death and hell combined. You know, I'm going to say something, or at least someone will say something a little bit later on this week, that Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even Jesus didn't want to go to death and to hell. It is not a pleasant feeling. So many people you know have died. They have. They've gone on. But they all have gone through that. Not able to speak. Did they also go to hell it's I'm not expressing this as, in any way as to promote myself. But I think it's important for all of us to recognize you don't want to die. Not even Jesus wanted to die. You don't want to go to hell. I ain't never felt nothing like that. I've been high. I've had all kinds of experiences. So I, I thought that I would share that once again thinking perchance I was not as clear as I could have been when first sharing it. My friends, you don't want to die. Not without Christ. And you don't want to, you don't want to go to hell. You, you don't want to go there. I don't care how good whatever it is you're doing feels. I don't care how much the preacher tells you God loves you. I don't care what he says to you about doctrine. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go. And you don't want to die without Jesus. I don't have this as a word from the Lord. I'll just 
speak on it. But the wall of flames were outside this building. Inside here was safety, and God drew them out of here to the wall of flames. You can interpret that any way you want. You can say that your children going to the Baptist church is okay. They're in the wall of flames. You can do anything you want. Those that march against us. Or you can get in a hurry and tell people they don't want to die. I'm telling you, you don't want that. But when it happens, there's nothing you do. You can't speak. You can't call for help. Once it happens, you'll never want to go there. And I have a sense of urgency, church, that we're living in, we're living in a times that's unspeakable. When I look at what they've done to my friend Dr. Bryant at the Legree Baptist Church, over down 125th Street, he preached in this pulpit. Dr. Latson. What? Devil has taken hold of these people. What devil has taken hold of them? What devil has taken hold? What? What devil has caused them to be as they are? I sent a note out this morning that Tribulation Trump is a public whore. A fellow wrote back to me that He's God's man for the hour. What devils? What devils? Have you ever seen or heard anything like this? What devils? It's safety in here. It's safe in here. The fire is out there. There's death and hell out there. There's life in here. I want to, I want to share that because I thought perchance I failed you somehow yesterday and I didn't fully explain. My friends, I want to appeal to you to be a part of the support, the financial and loving and prayerful support of the Outlaw Church, its school, its breakfast feeding program to children, its homeless shelter, its soup kitchen, its ministry of the Manning Report and Pulpit of Power. I want to ask you to first of all open up your heart uh, and to pray for us. That's the first thing. Before you open your purse, open your heart uh, and, and, and pray for us. And if you open your heart, uh, God will show you the work that we do. We need your financial and prayerful support. Uh, shortly, we're going to be talking about a woman named Mother Cooper who gives to the church. And someone reported, uh, have said to me over the years I've been a pastor, that I suppose there's times when people don't have anything to give. That's a lie. Everybody's got something to give. Jesus gave the example of the widow who walked into the synagogue one day and she only had two mites and she was a widow and had no further income, no place of getting anything. And she gave what she had to the church. No, everybody's got something to give. A lot of people say when they say we don't have anything to give, they really what they're doing is that they're saying you are not a priority. We're going to go and we're going to go out to Golden Corral. We're going to go out and do some things with our grandchildren, our children, but we ain't going to give to you. That's low priority. We'll, we don't have anything. <clears throat> We don't have anything to give to you. But I want to ask those of you who will listen, because I want to swat away the people that get online and try to contradict what we say. They, 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 they have it to give. They just don't want to give it. They don't have it to give here. And I understand that. But we need two RVs, recreation vehicles. We need one 
uh, for our expanded classrooms for our high school students, uh, and that can be used for field trips and can be used for science fairs and a number of other things traveling around New York City, New Jersey, and Connecticut during the process of education, also visiting college campuses and going on day trips and outings for our high school and our elementary students and RV. Uh, we need that for our continued education travels. And uh, so we're praying that someone will donate an RV to us for that purpose. And then, of course, we need a second RV to keep parked at our church on our premises uh, that we can pretty much strip down. Uh, and we'll take an older one for this purpose that can be stripped down and made into a science lab. At present, we don't have a science lab in our building. Uh, city state will not permit it because you got to have, you know, Bunsen burners and a whole lot of chemistries and chemicals and that kinds of a thing. And so we would like to convert an RV into a science lab where we can do scientific research. So we need to. Uh, and so we're asking, is there a heart out there of people who will give that maybe you have one, you're not using it anymore and you want to donate it to the church. And of course, we'll give you a tax right off for the purpose of process of doing that. Um, and we're asking you to do not let the naysayers, don't let people talk about, well, I would give to him, but he wears a fancy suit. What do you want me to come before you naked? And besides, you know, many times it's not the suit that looks good, and you might get a little offended by it, but the man makes the suit look good. I've seen a lot of people put on fancy suit, and they look like a, they just called, called out of a, a dog shelter. But that having been said, don't look at the outward appearance of me. Look at my heart. Look at my heart. If you look at my heart, you will see that my heart is in the right place. I got a lot of children I'm responsible for. I feed them every morning. You know, we fed over one million meals. That's the absolute truth. I'm not exaggerating. We have fed over one million meals, and our meals are not ready-to-eat meals prepared by the city of New York, frozen and warmed over in some sort of uh, convection oven or what microwave, and we throw them at people. No, these are meals that are made from scratch. Our waffles are made from scratch. Our eggs are made from scratch. Our grits are made from scratch. Our, everything we do is made from scratch. Over one million meals. No, we do a great work here in the community. And then finally, those of you who understand, you know, set aside. Don't, don't, don't deprioritize this ministry because you could give something. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're spending a lot of things that you really don't have to spend. You're probably, you know, buying things even at restaurants that you don't have to buy. And you Maybe you're purchasing things that you're only going to use or wear once. And you could, you know, you could give and you could tithe. And by doing that, you're going to be increased and blessed. So don't let the naysayers that come online and say something negative about this ministry. We're doing a great work for the Lord God Almighty. His name is Jesus. And it costs a lot to keep the lights and the cameras rolling in the computer. You know, we're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week we're running. And most of the time it's live. This does not come cheap. And you know it doesn't. So go ahead now. And then we're going to talk to you more about giving. But two RVs we need, the biggest ones you can get for the process of our schools. And then, of course, we need to be able to continue to keep those meals going down in the breakfast program where we're feeding all those beautiful but hungry children. All right, everybody, I'm James Ibbett Manning. I'm Lord Servant, and you know how to give. Go to our website and join our ministry uh, and do, bring your tithes and your offerings. I tell you what, 
do seven weeks of tithes and see if you are not better increased. If God doesn't restore unto you seven times what you have given in tithes and offering it, that way you're not to listen to me anymore. If God does not restore to you seven times what you tithed to the ministry or given to the ministry after seven weeks of giving faithfully without fail, without cheating, without lying and with a cheerful heart, you do those things. And if, if God doesn't restore, if God doesn't keep his honor, his word by opening up the windows of the or his windows of his storehouse and pouring you out a blessing so much so that you won't have room enough to receive it. You don't have to ever have to listen to me anymore. You don't ever have to deal with me anymore because everything else I would say would be a lie. Now go ahead and start. Join the ministry. Tithe. Do it and watch God bless. Recently, I have made mention of the fact that there's an atrocity going on in South Africa where the Nelson Mandela government and those that have come up under his leadership are now at this present moment killing white farmers. And there is presently in the parliament legislation to be put forward to take all the white farmers land. And there's all kinds of, if you will, power abuse is being displayed. Uh, I want to say a couple things about it. Thing number one, you don't see very much about this in the main and the dunghead media, the European JFIF media, mainly because uh, American JFIF media, dunghead media, do not want to offend Hamites or black or Negroes or African Americans by publishing this. So they've allowed this to go on without you really knowing very much about it, of what's happening in South Africa at present. The other thing that is, is that is running concurrent with this is that Tribulation Trump um, is such a, a maniacal person that he is sucking all the oxygen out of any media time in America now is in her own sense of duress and enslavement and trying to save herself and the media is dedicating all of his time and energy to that process. But let me make clear some statements I have made regarding my covering of what's happening in South Africa, as you will remember in years gone by, after having traveled to South Africa in the early 80s uh, and was able to see and understand exactly how South Africa came to be, the Afrikaners, the Dutch, the Europeans, and their war against the Zulus. Uh, and over many hundreds of years, the Zulus killed the Dutch and the Afrikaners and the white Europeans that came down the Transvaal. There were hundreds of years of battles when the Zulus won and they maintained autonomy over their land. And then uh, going back a hundred years ago, the Zulus and Afrikaners reorganized themselves, came back down the Transvaal and, and they were able to win a war against the Zulus and thusly set up the Africana government and established it based on the fact that they were in charge with the Zulus now in servitude to them. And I expressed all of that in terms of the battle and how it went. And many of the South Africans, uh, the Zulus were not necessarily in favor of what I said, but many of the South Africans were. But what I want to say now uh, with respect to what, what's going on uh, and, and, and whether I should speak or can speak. Um, when Obama was the illegal president, unconstitutional, illegal, a fraud, a, a mascot, not even a, a fully qualified so-called black man, 
became the president of America, it was very oppressive to many Japheth people. They were under great duress. Uh, much of it personally manufactured, but a lot of it also true. And, and not because I came to their aid, but because I spoke the truth, the truth that I spoke about Obama and about his support system of, 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 of Hamites or Canaanites or uh, in their, their black people, African-Americans, as I spoke the truth about him and his support system, many Japheth people felt some sort of relief. And we went on to demonstrate unequivocally when others would not what a fraud and unconstitutional Obama was. And it helped them largely, greatly, it helped them. In fact, they all know me now as a result of the long-legged Mac Daddy. But as soon as this white supremacist Tribulation Trump, this racist, this orange-haired orangutan, this coochie grabber, this bankruptcy king, this con man, this liar, this freak, this white supremacist supporter and uh, believer and sympathizer, Tribulation Trump came along, they abandoned me. In fact, they not only abandoned, but they turned on me viciously, the same people that I helped during the time and gave them a sense of stability and peace and hope for the future when Obama was president. When this racist, this white supremacist, Tribulation Trump came, they viciously turned on me. And then they looked at people like that freak, that sellout, that pedophile, Ben Carson. They call, he says he's a neurosurgeon or a doctor. He's a demon who he is. They turned on me and said, he is the true, he is the true kind of Hamite leadership. Ben Carson would not know how to be a Hamite if somebody wrote a book for him. He still wouldn't know how to follow the instructions, though he could do brain surgery. He couldn't follow instructions of three pages on how to be a black man. He doesn't know how. They turned on me. So the issue here now is I'm simply saying that what reward is it? What good comes from helping people who may be oppressed. Should I reach out now and help the white farmers in South Africa? Well, I don't believe they should be killed. I don't believe that, that, that what's happening to them. But should I reach out and help them now? And then should things settle down? Will I then be turned on viciously and hated, scorned? I mean, the same people I told who I helped throughout the Obama years have told me how to go back to robbing houses as a burglar, they call me the N-word. They've said all kinds of ugly things to me and everything they can potentially say and do, they've done it. I'm talking about the ones that through the power of God, I was able to help sustain them during the Obama reign. And now that I'm speaking a word of blessing to Canaan and Ham, they're even more vicious and angry. I mean, they have no trouble worshiping this racist, this orange hat orangutan, this coochie grabber. They have no problems whatsoever honoring him. I mean, even, you know, one of the things about the South African regime, they had a thing called pass laws. You, and if you were a, a Zulu, in order to get into the major cities of the, uh, the, where the in industry and commerce went on, uh, you were not allowed to live in Johannesburg. It'll make a junkie say Jesus is Lord. I got a word in my mouth. I got a word, 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 word in my mouth. 
We're continuing uh, the Manning Report. I'm here, the quintessential American, James David Righteous, Rebel Manning. Howdy, howdy. How's everybody doing? How was your celebration, resurrection, Easter weekend? Pray it was well. Yesterday was Easter Monday, so we uh, didn't show up for the, to do our regular thing, but we're back now. Pray all is well. An extraordinary broadcast ahead of us today with a number of very important things that you definitely want to be able to uh, digest. You might want to go ahead and, and send a share uh, note out to all of your, uh, your your friends and everybody else or to let them know that they want to hear the next two hours is going to be probably the most important two hours giving us some clarity of revelation that Almighty God, whose name is Jesus, got up out the grave, will be given to us as we can be guided uh, through this maze that is presently before us. Number one, as uh, we get started here, I want to make mention of the, uh, the former slaves, uh, American slaves, that have been marching and protesting over the past 150 years. Um, that, uh, that, that process has not profited the former American slaves. They're marching, they're protesting, um, and all of the, the whatever minor gains they may have thought they got unto themselves. Yet, there are young men like Stephon Clark. They're still being shot down in the street. The, the civil authorities are still uh, going after them with a regard of hatred. We've got a word we're going to be sharing a little bit later on that's going to actually uh, give you the wisdom to be able to understand clearly. But the marching and protesting has not, uh, has not brought the kind of rewards, nor peace, or equity, or equality that many people thought that they should have. And I think that what we need to be mindful of, and I listen to this very carefully, that the racial issue, uh, the slavery issue, uh, the American issue is about racial slavery politics. It is the center of all things that happen in America since the Civil War, except for the Industrial Age, all things in America focused around race. And the last 75 years have been the, perhaps the most comprehensive. But Americans, Japheth Americans and Shemite Americans have not made peace with their Canaanite Americans, the ones that they had as former slaves. And it's clear now that there will be that, that there will be no peace. Now listen to me very carefully. It's clear that there will be no peace between Japheth and Canaan. There will be no equality between Japheth and Canaan. By Canaan, I mean the, the, the slaves that came from Africa and served in the Caribbean and all up in the, the, the eastern part of America and now live all over America. There will be no equality. That was, that was never God's plan. There will be no peace. There will be no equality uh, between these two. And that there will be no real full citizenship of the, of the, uh, of the Canaanite uh, to the American process. Though the 14th Amendment to the Constitution was drawn up for that purpose. So I, I think that one of the things that we'll look at first is the Canaanite side of this, this process of, of, of the enduring problem of slavery and the slave owners and the former slaves of America. Uh, 
that the marching and the protesting has not worked. It, it, I mean, it, it, it has not worked. It, it, there, there has been every effort through the process of a political genre, through a, a, an activism uh, way of, of, of operating. It has not worked. It, it has not worked, not the Montgomery bus boycott, not the Civil Rights March, and I Have a Dream in August of 1963, not the signing of the Civil Rights Act, uh, not uh, the uh, sitting at the Greensboro lunch counter, not the, uh, uh, the, the, the nine students allowed, not allowed to go in, George Wallace stopping them, and but John Kennedy sending in the federal troops, uh, the Black Lives Matter, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the so-called black president, who well, he's not black, uh, the Barack Hussein Obama, the, the Edward Brooke from Massachusetts as a black senator, none of these things have brought peace. In, in fact, what we see, and we've made mention of, a larger prison population of, of Canaanites, and we see a deterioration of, of Japheth and Shemites in America uh, worse now than has ever been. Neither one of the groups are exceeding or succeeding uh, from the process of slavery in America. Neither one of the groups, and it's all at the hand of Almighty God, the reason why it has not. So starting with the Canaanites, who at this, at this moment are poised uh, to take advantage of the fact that America is riddled from end to end with racism and, for, and slave, former slaves and slave owners being at one another's throat. There, there are a couple of things here that I want to deal with as far as Canaan is concerned. But first, let me say again, after 150 years, that the end result of a, of a so-called black president, the end result of I have a dream speech, the end result of the black Muslims, the end result of the black Panthers, the end result of Stokely Carmichael and black power, the end results of Black Lives Matter, the end result of the NAACP, and all that, and the $50 trillion that have been poured in through the Johnson administration into the neighborhoods from South Central Los Angeles, the South Side of Chicago, to Bronx, the the $50 trillion, a trillion dollars a year, poured into the poverty program for quality of schools, of housing, of education, of banking, all of that. And yet, and yet, the problem is worse now. Now, one can argue um, and, 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 and try to obfuscate that it is not worse now, but go check out the jails. Check out the runaway unemployment. Check out the, the, the fatherless children. Check out the crime. And, and check out the young men being shot down in the street. Ask Eric Garner when that little short midget police officer jumped on his back and choked him to death. I mean, check it out. Now, here's the reason why. That none of these things have worked. So here's a word to both Japheth and to Canaan. Number one is that Canaan has never accepted the fact that God sent him into slavery. He's never accepted. He's never confessed it. I mean, of all the leaders, the, the, the I have a dreams, the John Lewis's, the Malcolm X, uh, the, the, the whoever's, the one thing that Canaan refuses to do and will not do is accept 
the fact that God, his name is Jesus, sent him into slavery. He won't confess it. 150 years. And you've never heard anybody except James David Manning confess it. He won't do it. He will not do it. So what happens is that when he refuses to confess, he denies God. He denies truth. And everything about Canaan becomes a lie and a failure because he refuses to confess the word of God. He won't do it. He won't. Canaan will not do it. That God cursed him in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25. He won't do it. He will not do it. So the, 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 until, until he recognizes that he, his, his, his plight it got started with the omnipotent God marching on the White House is going in the wrong direction. Going to the Lincoln Memorial and saying, I have a dream, is going in the wrong direction. It wasn't Lincoln. It wasn't Washington. It was heaven that Canaan refuses to acknowledge. He refused. He won't do it. He will not do it. He will not do it. He will not do it. And so what we have to then begin to say to Canaan uh, after 150 years, it's about time, homeboy, that you recognize that all these things that you have done has led to the most recent shooting of Stefan Clark, shot in the back. I thought it was six times. Actually, it was six times in the back and two times on the side. And nothing about the police report said he had a gun in his hand and he was facing them and coming towards them. The boy was shot, executed. And by the way, the ch police chief of Sacramento is a Canaanite and so is one of the police officers that shot uh, Stefan Clark. So I think the first thing we have to do is recognized is that Canaan will not, he will not honor God. And that has been the dilemma. It has been, it has been, it has been the, the issue that Satan has used to keep him. See, the moment he turns around and confesses that God sent him into servitude, then he breaks the chain, but he won't do it. We'll come back to that. The other thing is that we have to recognize is that now God has sent a word. Now, I've been on the battlefield. I've been on the battlefield for 25 years. But the word of deliverance, I've been preaching for longer than that. I've been preaching God's truth. And he won't recognize me. He will not recognize me. He will not recognize me because I recognize the script. I recognize the authority of God. There is no authority except the authority of God. And there is no king except Jesus. And there is no equality except by Almighty God. And if God took away Canaan's equality and made him a servant. He can't ask John Kennedy to undo what God Almighty in heaven has done. He's got to go back to God, who's the ultimate judge, and he won't do it. And he won't do it. But God has sent me with patience and long-suffering to point these matters out. But not only that. 
what, need, what needs to be understood is that I'm now coming and I have a lot to say about this. We're going to continue with this as we go. Our time is moving right along. Let me hurry along. I've told Canaan and Ham of late that God has called them to honor the first word in the scriptures after his servant and slavery was enjoined that Moses, a Shemite, comes along and orders that the Sabbath day is holy and no man is a slave on the Sabbath day. Moses wrote in the book of Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, that no one shall work, because that's the call labor, on the Sabbath day, not your manservant, not Canaan, not your women servant or maid servant, shall not do any labor. That is the beginning of the introduction to Canaan of his freedom from Shem and from Japheth. And so I've come of late with a word in my mouth from Almighty God that he is to honor that the, the way in which God, because marching hasn't done it, a black president hasn't done it. There's just too many people in prison. There's too many people shot down in the street. There's too much poverty. It has not done it. It has not done it. So the, the way to break the power over Japheth is not to ask Japheth to set you free. That's not the way to do it. He doesn't have the power. He didn't put you in. He can't take you out. You got to go back to God. His name is Jesus. He has told me to say to all of Ham and Japheth worldwide, come together and honor the first principle of freedom for all men, which is a Sabbath day. He's listening, but he don't want to hear that either. I mean, but let me share something with you. Now, listen to me very carefully because I don't have a lot of time to explain this to you. The Sabbath day sets you free from all labor. Even the slave is free according to the decree and the word of God on the Sabbath. Even the slave, the maidservant, and the manservant is free. On the Sabbath day, you say, well, that's just one day. What about the other six days? Well, let me just share something with you. If you will hear what thus saith the Lord, his name is Jesus. I'm his servant regarding Canaanites and Hamites honoring the Sabbath day. It will be the biggest labor union do you know the kind of trillion dollar per year control you will have over the world economy if you make the Sabbath day your day where you will do no labor? Then God will give you the win, and while it's only just one day. The Lord has shown me. That, he, that to get you as a Hamite and a Canaanite to work on the Sabbath day brings in trillions of dollars to the world economy. Trillions of dollars. If you stopped your labor, and as, a, as one and all in every household and every Canaanite, Hamite as well, 
No labor on the Sabbath day. It will stop, it will pause Amazon.com. It'll pause FedEx. It will pause Facebook. It will stop the major networks. It will stop the government. It will stop the trains from running. The planes will not fly if you Canaanites and Hamites honor the Sabbath. Take just one day and you stop trillions of dollars from commerce on just that one day, the Sabbath day. Just that one day. Just that one day will put you back in control, put you back in the bargaining seat, give you the freedom that you should have and that you have missed by marching and protesting, led by lying Japheth and lying Shem to go down to Washington to ask the White House to do for you what heaven has done against you. They can't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. They don't have the power. You can have a dream all you want. It ain't going to happen. So now, what you going to do? God has sent me. So the first thing we need to do is that we need to honor the Sabbath day. The next thing we do, uh, and of course, it, it was for actually the first thing is accept the prophecy. That God, it was God that put us in. And only God can take us out. Upon marching, no point making a black Muslim, black power, black, no point in complaining about police shootings until you're ready to honor God. You have no protection. When you deny the word of God, you deny God's protection. What you going to do? First, we got to honor God's word. It was the Lord. Lord, you sent me. <laughs> Lord, you brought me in. Lord, you take me out. And then the Sabbath day. James David Manning, the Lord's servant, got a word in his mouth, a trillion-dollar economy. And then, of course, from there, now I really have to go. Every Canaanite, there's no Canaanite serving, washing cars, running elevators, typing, playing basketball, playing nothing on the Sabbath day. The world economy has to stop and to wait for the Canaanites to come back to work, and they cannot be replaced. Can I tell you one other thing? The Canaanite labor cannot be replaced. In other words, if all Canaanites made one and, one and Hamites made it one and all a decision globally, nowhere where a Canaanite or Hamite is found will there be work, he cannot be replaced by union busters of our strike busters because what you do can't nobody do it but you can't nobody sing like you can't nobody serve like you can't nobody do anything that you do like you do it you are unique and your labor built America you're right about that I'll give you that you're right the Indians could not have built America if we had waited on the chapter the, the, the Cherokees the Sioux the Blackfoot if Japheth would have depended on them to build America, hell, it would still be an outpost somewhere between the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. The, 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 the Indians couldn't do what you've done, and nobody can do what you do. There'll be no union strike. There'll be no union of strike busters if every Hamite and Canaanite would make the decision. I'm listening to what the Honorable James David Manning has said. There'll be no labor on the Sabbath day, a trillion-dollar economy. And then you can say, wait a minute, 
I think we want to raise. <laughs> I think we want to. And, and from there, you can start your own holidays. You can have outlaw celebration. The whole week, the whole world has to stop. But are you going to do that? You look and say, this is a vast program. How on earth can we ever get it done? It can start with you. Number one, I have a dream, didn't get it. Obama, black president, didn't go nowhere near it. And, and, and not that these things cannot have some sort of efficacy of its own. It's just, it's the wrong answer. It's going in the wrong direction. It was God Almighty who put slavery on you. The White House can't take it off. And it didn't even happen in America. America can't, America can't set Africa free. America can't set you free. It didn't happen here. It happened in heaven. Until you're willing to wear that, there ain't going to never be no peace. And there's going to be more young men shot down in the street. You're going to be marching and protesting and Black Lives Matter and Ungawa Black Power all you want. But it's going to keep on the beach. Until you stop and say, the Lord is my shepherd. So my friends, I, 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 I must, I, we, we must make that confession. And then the Sabbath day. You don't realize that your gift is labor. Your gift is labor. Your, though it was a curse to be sure, but your gift to the world is labor. Now we need to step up and learn how to organize our labor and God will give us that wisdom by honoring the Sabbath day. Your gift is labor. That's your gift. The world depends on you. Your gift. And you withdraw your gift and one and all. Withdraw your gift. You stop the world economy. The Canaanites are the ones that make the world go around. So let's start over. Let's admit, Lord, you put us into slavery. We ain't mad with nobody. Lord, you're going to take us out. You done sent your servant, James David Manning, to get us out. We're going to confess Noah's words over Canaan, and we're going to confess Moses' word over us that we shall be free. And to be sure, there's a whole lot more freedom that comes from honoring the Sabbath day. But let's start in the first grade um, with honoring the seventh day and worship on that day. And then God will open us up to the physics and trigonometry and the plane geography and everything, the algebra about everything else of the benefits of who we are. Our gift is labor. Nobody can build the way we can do it. Our gift is labor. And when we're not in labor, we're in destruction. I'm James David Manning, everybody. I'm the Lord's servant calling for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day for all Canaanites and all Hamites worldwide. Honor the Sabbath day. Outlaw. That's what God said. That's what God said. That's what Hell no, hell no, hell no. Why should I pay them taxes after I'm doing them a great service? Because we weren't here to do it. The city would have to come in and feed and educate these children. We don't get a dime from the city.
the state, nor the federal government. Not one dime, not one dime from any of them demons. Not one dime comes to, to cook that food. Not one dime. Every bit of it comes from the tithe and the offering. And, the, and they say, after we serve all these meals, educate all these children, keep people out of prison, counsel husbands and wives, they say I should pay them taxes also. No! No, we're not paying them any taxes. Why should we? And that's why the tax exemption for churches and charitable organizations was set up in the first place. Because churches do work that ostensibly the state or the government doesn't have to do. My friends, uh, historically here in America, um, we've gone ahead and accepted it uh, as an undisputed, unmitigated fact that George Washington was America's first and, and potentially greatest president. He was a general. He was an honorable man. He took bullets from King George. He led Valley Forge. Um, he, he led us through the Revolutionary War and brought us to uh, statehood. George Washington, the first. Now, the last president, actually, Bill Clinton was the last president of America. He was the last president. The, 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 the second millennium, the year 2000, we've had some scallywags, hypocrites, and now we got the son of the devil. An Obama and the servant of the devil. George Bush was uh, put in by a, a, a racist court. George Bush created one of the greatest useless wars and killings of hundreds of thousands of Muslims in Iraq. I don't know how George Bush sleeps at night. I don't know how he does it, but he was not president. He's put in by the courts. And then after him came this half-breed, half-baked, half-white, half-black sodomite named Obama. And he wasn't even American-born. Now the trinity of all of that is the worst of the worst. They, the devil saved the worst for last in this orange-haired orangutan, this tribulation Trump. This man is a monster. I mean, he is the worst of the bookends of, of the bookends. Uh, Tribulation Trump has come uh, to demonstrate uh, the curse of God upon Japheth and upon America. I want you to listen to some things that are said by former Labor Secretary Robert Reich regarding uh, tribulation Trump. He doesn't, he's not as bold. He doesn't go in the directions and he doesn't have the prophecy or the understanding. America has not had a president since Bill Clinton. We've been in la la land and we, we are now at a place where we have got a stark raving maniac in the office of the presidency now. And America has never been as weak never been as open as she is right now. But I'm going to let Robert Reich talk to you, and, and then I'm going to come back and tell you about these racist, hell-filled evangelicals that God has cursed. And I'm laughing at them. I'm laughing at them. I'll tell you how God didn't curse these Japheth evangelicals. They are sickos. Roll the clip, Mr. Engineer. America has had its share of crooks, Warren G. Harding. Richard Nixon, bigots, Andrew Jackson, James Buchanan, 
and incompetence. Andrew Johnson, George W. Bush. But never before Donald Trump have we had a president who combined all these nefarious qualities. America's great good fortune was to begin with the opposite, a superb moral leader. By June of 1775, when Congress appointed George Washington to command the nation's army, he had already become a moral rallying post, as his biographer Douglas Southall Freeman described him. He was the embodiment of the purpose, the patience, and the determination necessary for the triumph of the revolutionary cause. Washington won the war and then led the fledgling nation by directness, by deference, and by manifest dedication to duty. A president's most fundamental legal and moral responsibility is to uphold and protect our system of government. Donald Trump has degraded that system. When he threatens to loosen federal libel laws so he can sue news organizations that are critical of him and revoke licenses of networks critical of him. We can sue them and win lots of money. He isn't just bullying the media. He's threatening the constitutionally guaranteed freedom and integrity of the press. When he equated neo-Nazis and Ku Klux Klan members with counter-demonstrators in Charlottesville, Virginia, by blaming both sides for the violence, he wasn't being neutral. He was condoning white supremacists, thereby undermining the Constitution's guarantee of equal rights. When he pardoned Joe Arpaio, the former sheriff of Maricopa County, Arizona, for a criminal contempt conviction, he wasn't just signaling it's okay for the police to engage in violations of civil rights. He was also subverting the rule of law by impairing the judiciary's power to force public officials to abide by court decisions. When he criticized NFL players for kneeling during the national anthem. That's a total disrespect of everything that we stand for. He wasn't just demanding they demonstrate their patriotism. He was disrespecting their and indirectly everyone's freedom of speech. When he berates the intelligence agencies and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, he isn't just questioning their competence. Well, it's a shame what's happened with the FBI. He's suggesting they're engaged in a giant conspiracy to remove him from office, potentially inviting his most ardent supporters to engage in a new civil war. When he boasts that he made up information in a meeting with the Prime Minister of Canada, he isn't just undermining his own credibility, he's undermining the credibility of the United States in the eyes of the world. Donald Trump is degrading the core institutions and values of our democracy. But America is fighting back. In Alabama, voters turned out in droves to elect a Democrat to the Senate for the first time in 25 years. In Pennsylvania, Republicans lost control of a congressional district that went for Trump by nearly 20 percentage points. Since Trump took office, Democrats have flipped 39 Republican-held state legislative seats. The 2018 midterm elections are approaching. It's up to all of us to keep up the momentum. In the face of the worst president in history, we are at our best when striving to strengthen our democracy. 
now I allowed Robert Reich to have that statement because he brings a perspective that uh, perhaps many of you will give him credit for because of his political seats that he has held in the past. But I want you to imagine Egypt. Um, after the report got back to Pharaoh that his army had been drowned in the Red Sea, uh, after he was chasing his free labor force and a servant named Moses led them from servitude across the Red Sea into a promised land. I want you to imagine how disheveled Egypt was. It had no workforce. It had no free slavery. The things that needed to be done, the Egyptians didn't know how to do. For the Jews had done all those things for years. Uh, the cooking, the washing, the sustaining, the, the, the support of the army, the military, the support of the industry, the infrastructure, all of that was gone in one fell swoop. And Egypt never recovered. It, it never, not to mention the massive number of deaths that happened as a result of Moses bringing a people out of bondage that God had prophesied and into freedom. So I want you to imagine Egypt as that and then look at America. You see, what you see happening in America, not just with tribulation Trump, but with the J5 racists pissing in their pants and in their panties uh, in support of tribulation Trump is exactly what was happening in Egypt. They were desperate. They were looking for a leader. They didn't care about his morality. They didn't care whether he lied. They didn't care whether he was a thief or a rapist or a bankruptcy king or a con. They didn't care. Just like you see these, these J5 pissing in their panties and their pants to support tribulation Trump. That's exactly, now that's exactly what happened to Egypt. They were lost. They were lost. What is not seen in this event that I'm, is that Japheth nor Canaan can see the freedom. Japheth doesn't know that God has sent me and I've sent a word that has set the division, that has set the people free, and Japheth is scrambling to try to, to, to bring back some sense of authority. He, Japheth will even set up a banana republic disregarding the Constitution, democracy, freedom of speech, freedom of press. They know those things are worthless to them now that a deliverer has come and that Canaan and that Ham is no longer their servants or their slaves. And so they got this tribulation. So if you can imagine, and Egypt never recovered, and America is never going to recover. Huh. When those Jews marched out of Egypt that morning, it left a society in absolute shambles, and it has never recovered. It's been 25, 2700 years, and still no recovery. Same thing for America, except she won't last that long. So in order for us to interpret, I mean, it's one thing for Japheth to try to understand what it's like Robert Reich has said, and for others to try to interpret what is going on. You're, you're getting it from, from, from the heavens, from the throne of God itself. 
that that God, this is this is the hand of God that these and these evangelicals have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever seen preachers standing in their pulpits scratching their uh, testicles to try to explain away that Trump is a racist, that he's a rapist, that he's a con man, that he's a liar? They're doing everything. They're standing in their pulpits. They're standing before congregations. They're finding a, 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 modicum, a modicum of forgiveness that even God doesn't know about uh, to try to to try to at least give some reason why they have got to accept this orange hat orangutan as their leader because there's nothing left. They can't go to God. They can't go to Him. They can't go to him. All them Japheth women are pissing in their panties when they hear me talk. <laughs> and these Japheth men, well, they don't tell them what they're doing. But no, no, God has allowed me to come to talk to you today and to say to you, I want to take you over to Egypt the day after the Passover, the morning after the Passover. That place was in shambles, the stitch of death was everywhere. All the workers moved out. In one fell swoop, all the labor force left. And when they, when they left, they took a trillion dollar economy with them in gold and silver when they left. So I've been preaching to Canaan, you've heard me, and to Ham. I told him to honor the Sabbath day because he's got trillion dollar world economy. Canaan, and Ham, you make the world go round. Your gift, Canaan, is labor. Don't believe it? Ask, ask uh, your father Ham when, when the Jews left. So it's all coming together now. It's all coming together now. The trillion dollar world-stopping influence that actually Canaan can stop the world. He can stop Russia. He can stop any part of the planet he wants to stop by simply stop stopping labor on the Sabbath day. And so Egypt fell into a shambles, my friend, and Egypt never, never recovered. And America is never going to recover. Yeah, they've got this orange hat orangutan. Preachers, I swear, if, if it had been reported to the devil himself that you would have these white Japheth evangelicals finding reason to support a rapist and one who is constantly lying to them and conning them and stealing treasury, stealing from the treasury and got a gang of thieves in the Congress that's stealing like you won't believe. And yet, and yet they are praising him because there is no place else to go. It's the justice of God. It is the justice of God. So I want to say to all the Japheth people, to all the evangelicals, to all the racists and Trump supporters, you don't miss your laborers. To the well run dry. William Bell had a song many years ago. Well, you don't miss your water. 
till the well runs dry. You say to the Egyptians, when those Jews marched out of Egypt that morning, that after Passover morning, you don't miss your workers till the well runs dry. And to all the lying, Japheth, racist, hate-filled Trump supporters, Canaan's going to listen to me. And you will miss your laborers. You will miss your flunkies. You will miss your young boys that you target practice on. You will miss your whores. You will miss your Uncle Toms. You'll keep Ben Carson, he'll stay with you until your well runs dry. Hallelujah. Amen. And boom, shakalaka goes right there. In the process of your giving, don't, don't, you know, Mickey Ficky the Lord by saying you don't have it to give. You have it. It's a matter of priority. You know, if you change some things around, you know, Mother Cooper only gets $700 a month. She lives alone in the city projects by herself, doesn't have any other job or income. And yet she gives $70 a month to the church and she takes the bus and she gets a senior citizen card for that to come to the church and worship, get her clothes clean. It's a matter of priority. The Bible says that Jesus was standing in the vestibule of the synagogue one day and a bunch of wealthy people came in. They were just throwing money down the, into the offering basket. Um, and then this, this widow came in. Now, in the Jewish tradition, a widow was a person who could not own property. Uh, she could not work as women. Uh, and if her husband wasn't, well, she's a widow, so she doesn't have a husband. If she doesn't have sons or nephews to take care of her, then she's out. And she came into the temple that day to worship like everybody else. And all she had was two mites to her name. And after that, there was nothing left. She gave all that to the Lord and forever being remembered by Jesus as the woman who gave the two mites. Bible tells us that in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, that Elijah went to a woman's house, a widow's house, and Zarephath, she wasn't even a Jew. And he told that widow to feed me. All she had in her barrel was a little meal and her cruise, a little oil, and she'd go cook it and die because the famine had been sore. But the prophet Elijah said, make a cake for me first. And well, she obeyed. She could have said, I don't have it. I, this is just for me and my son. And she could have eaten it and died. But she gave to the prophet Elijah and they ate and ate and the barrel never ran out and the meal oil never ran dry. The purple heart Elvin Joe Swisher was wearing was fake. Elvin Joe Swisher has never set a foot in, in Korea, and he, his DD-214 was fake. And uh, all of that information was fake. The man is a proven liar. If you watch the Fox News piece that was done about Elvin Joe Swisher, you'll realize this man is lower than I've a snake. It. I've seen the piece with Megan uh, Kelly. I've seen it, yes. Yeah. It, he's a valor thief. I mean, I can't think of enough negative words to talk about Elvin Joe Swisher, what a low-life piece of scum this man is. And keep in mind, he's the only reason that uh, David Hinkson is sitting in prison. Everybody that... I, I wanted, wanted to, to introduce this piece. This is uh, our segment called Visit the Prisons with Rudy Davis. Um, and he's bringing us some very important information. Of course, we've 
Uh, we recorded this information a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but it is our commitment amid some other very uh, uh, extreme times we have right now with um, leading Canaanites and Hamite people to a, a truth. Uh, we don't want to omit uh, uh, visiting the prisons because Jesus has told us to do so. Uh, so this segment got started with the engineer, didn't realize I was to come in and, and introduce this, uh, this piece of visit to the prisons and Rudy is explaining uh, about the railroading of a, of a man who's been in prison unjustly and a number of political prisoners that even you may find yourself as one uh, in the not too many days. Mr. Engineer, go ahead and continue the process now. Kingston at the time, including his family, uh, his Mormon family, and even, even including his other friends, his Christian friends, said that David Hinkson wouldn't hurt a soul and, and that they knew they didn't believe um, Elvin Joe Swisher tried to get an appeal before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We know the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is a, almost like a clown circus. Uh, I think he lost— San Francisco uh, crowd. Yes, the San Francisco crowd, and uh, he lost by one vote on the on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It was split, and he lost by one vote. And so now he's sitting in prison, and everybody knows that Elvin Joe Swisher lied, and uh, it's an absolute miscarriage of justice. As I talk to this man on the phone and as I re research his case, I am shocked uh, that this man is still sitting in prison, and uh, I pray that people look into the case. We're not asking anything, anybody to believe anything just because I say so. We've got the documents. I even have a document, Pastor Manning, from a juror member, and uh, the, it's, it's an affidavit signed by a juror, and the juror signed the, the affidavit, and if you read it, it says, had I known that Elvin Joe Swisher showed a fake DD-214, wore a fake purple heart, and had never set forth a foot in Korea, I would never have voted guilty. And that's a juror member uh, that signed an affidavit that found out later that it was a big lie. And so, um, Well, you that, know, my, my question would, would be um, that uh, the, the, the fact that Swisher came in wearing a false purple heart and carrying a, a false ID card, should not that have rendered his testimony uh, unacceptable that you know, without credibility that I mean his whole person was a lie sitting in the courtroom. I, Pastor, <laughs> no, Pastor Manning. In, in a world of common sense where men have minds to think reasonably, yes, absolutely, it would have rendered his testimony useless. They would have had nothing on David Hinkson, and he would have had to be set free. But the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals created what's called the Hinkson Standard. They created a whole new piece of legislation just for David Hinkson, and what the Hinkson standard is, is the, the judges that voted against him, keep in mind it was split, he only lost by one judge's vote. The judges who voted against David Hinkson made the argument that David Hinkson believed that Elvin Joe Swisher was a war hero. And so it doesn't matter that Elvin Joe Swisher was not a war hero and that he was a dang liar. It didn't matter about that, that David Hinkson believed it, and therefore uh, they let the testimony stand. That well, that's is about as convoluted as anything I've ever heard in my entire life. I insanity. mean, how many of us, including judges and other people, who can get hoodwinked into believing someone, and simply because we believe that, that and this person is a fraud, 
that that our belief should override the fraud. This I think is what they're, they're saying. Is that right? I mean, yeah, yes, they're they're saying that that they believe. In other words, the judges believe that that David Hinkson believed. I know. Uh, yeah, Elvin's life. But keep in mind, the only reason that the jury voted guilty was because of the prestigious the prestigious nature. Absolutely, that's what I'm. Uh, saying. So it's it's absolutely insane, Pastor. So Manning. if you we take just, away the prestigious representation that is as false as possible, then the jury has no grounds upon which to, to bring forth a guilty verdict. That, amen. Because it was resting on the lie of his facade or, of who amen. he was. You got it. You got it. That's exactly right. And so uh, we have an innocent man sitting in prison. He's never hurt anybody, never had any trouble with the law, was a wealthy businessman, had a, multiple inventions. And this is the second aspect of David Hinkson. I told you about the fact that his incarceration and his uh, trial is shocking enough. You know, that's just that's that whole story. You could write a book about it and make a movie about it. But the other aspect of David Hinkson is I believe he's a bona fide genius. I believe that he has a lot to offer the world. Uh, he put out he's been working with some individuals in uh, uh, other parts of the country to create what's called a galt motor now some of these claims are going to sound so outrageous that you know people will not believe them but i would ask look into the matter i've interviewed the men that he's working with they've created a prototype there's a book out called atlas shrugged ayn rand is the author um many people think the book is you know stands for individual rights and freedoms she was an atheist uh you know, uh, so God, God help her if, you know, if she broke hell wide open when she died. But the book uh, did set a precedent. Many people refer to the book. Inside the book is a man by the name of John Galt. He created a motor that changed the world. And Pastor Manning, I've, I've mailed you some of these PDF files. I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at it, but he created all of these drawings from prison freehand. Just that, just these drawings alone of uh, rotors and, uh, you know, the, the, design of the motor, the design of where right. the coils, coils would be absolutely amazing. And he's had a couple of men on the outside working on his behalf, and they've created a prototype on the bench. And he, they're working to create even a better prototype. And uh, I think that there is something to what he's saying. I, I, I don't dismiss all of his claims. I believe he has created a motor which could change the world. He's, he's, his business, before he was thrown in why, why prison— Why would this motor be so— uh, such an uh, engineering feat. It, it's not. It's not my. It's not my area of expertise. And there's a guy, but the doctor actually, Doctor Guy, Doctor Guy, that I've uh, communicated with mo m many times. But the motor, uh, it, it, there's, think, there's something called an R1 lock, and we get into the technical aspects of motors, but it basically, uh, it basically creates energy uh, that that normally normal motors wouldn't be able to create okay. Uh, right. okay. and it, it's very it's very efficient and he's got the diagrams and he's got the drawings and it's it's a it's a new type of motor that uh, they created a prototype for and basically the more load you put on the motor the faster it goes and uh, it's an it's, it seems to be an amazing type of uh, machinery that he has invented there's a there's a man by the name of john searle j-o-h-n-s-e-a-r-l johnsearl.com that's created a very similar motor that people can look up but david hinkson says his motor is even better than that and um we asked people when did, that when it, did hinkson design this motor i i i i know going back to aaron ran and the uh the atlas shrug was right. it prior to the publishing of that book or no, no, was I, it I believe, prior I, to his being in prison 
It was prior to his being in prison. He's been in prison 15 years. I believe he created the motor in 1993 or 1997, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm just asking questions. Yes. Um, If he created a motor such as this, that would be this energy-saving, power-boosting engineering feat. Uh, you know, people in the major world of engines, General Motors, Pratt, Pratt uh, uh, engines, and Ford, they'll throw you in prison if you got a better system than theirs to <laughs> keep it from well, being publicized. They want to keep people buying their engines. That's just an idea. I don't know no, that to be the case. No, no, Pastor Manning, what you're, what you're talking about is very similar to what happened to Nikola Tesla. He died penniless. Uh, and uh, nobody would listen to anything he had to say. Nikola Tesla, that's, that's some of the designs that uh, David Hinkson has based his motor off of. Uh, and so I believe you're absolutely right. Uh, I believe that th- this motor that I'm talking about, the Galt motor, which it, anybody who's read Atlas Shrugged knows that uh, the motor was called the Galt motor. And uh, David Hinkson has an actual acronym. I, f- I forget the exact uh, acronym for Galt, but he, the, last, the last T is toroid. But in any event, um, you're right. There are forces in play in this world that would never want any such invention to come to light. And so I believe they have targeted him. And I believe that the reason he's in prison is not because they believed he was going to conspire to kill some federal judge. That was just a cover. And they actually worked with Elvin Joe Swisher to lie about David Hinkson. I believe they've tried to shut up the Nikola Tesla of our day. Um, I should also mention that the business that he was running that was made him very wealthy before they threw him in prison was Water Oz. It was a copper uh, treatment. He, he put copper minerals in water. He said it would cure the common cold. He said it would cure muscular dystrophy, must, multiple sclerosis. He said it would cure brain-eating amoebas. It would go where there was viruses inside the body and kill the viruses. And he created this copper water in such a way as he believed it was uh, – uh, just an incredible uh, medicine uh, that would do all of these well, treatments. Let me ask you, does he have family, friends, or relatives that are continuing uh, to promote his designs, or are they just falling by the wayside as a result of his incarceration? He, he does have supporters, Pastor Manning. He has a couple of men on the outside who are working on his, on his Galt generator. They've already created a prototype and, 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 and did a video. Um, I asked him to do an even better video, and David's working with them, but it's very difficult for him to get things done on prison, but he does have supporters, and these supporters are good Christian men. I've talked to them, and they're not insane. He also has a a lady by the name of Catherine, who was his biggest reseller for his um, uh, copper water solution that cures all of these diseases, and she is a steadfast, taunt supporter of his, believes in his innocence. I I want to take the time to state that we're in, in the midst of an extraordinary a very urgent time with the Lord uh, in terms of the ministry that we're doing. And of course, we've had Rudy on and we want to continue to visit the prisons. We've had to alter uh, our programming schedule. A large number of things have happened because of the urgency of God's word, uh, because of the urgency of the time. Uh, This year has been the most jam-packed power of the Holy Ghost anointing. Uh, and 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 all my years of ministry, I would say, uh, we, I mean, we've even had to redirect uh, the, the use of Sabbath. You don't see her; she's still very much a part, very integral to what is going on, and deeply involved in the ministry. Uh, but prayerfully, what God has got us doing. So, with Rudy, we've had to, and we want, if Rudy's listening, we want him to understand that process. But we still want to visit the prisons. 
um, as best we possibly can. We don't want to leave that segment out. But uh, and, and to all of our members, uh, there have been, has been a shift, there's been an, an upgrade and the presentation of our ministry inside the house uh, where we worship at the altar, the sanctuary. Uh, there's just an, an incredible number of things that God is doing and calling and to incorporating the Caribbean. And uh, it is just absolutely fascinating. So we ask that you be prayerful, stay with us, continue your love, continue your support, continue your giving. And let me get all of this that God is pouring into me out. I mean, he, he he's pouring uh, his word into in me at this, this, this present time. And I believe it'll set all the captives free, not just those that are in prison. We're going to continue with the visit to prison with Rudy Davis, but we'll set all the captives free from so many things. And we'll cert certainly set uh, America free from its bondage and from the hooks uh, and the demonic possessions that are presently going on. And having said that, let me say a word. I'm very concerned about a couple of things I see going on on a global national scale, one is that the teachers down in Oklahoma that are being paid peanuts for an extraordinary job of teaching students, uh, four day a week classes, and uh, the teachers having to work two and three jobs in order to be able to have a, a livable wage going on in Oklahoma. And now they've got the teachers walk out and many people are railing against it, but Oklahoma is a state that produces a lot of oil and it's, a, it's very wealth and wealthy in its oil production. Um, and I, my heart goes out to those teachers and those students who are sitting in those secondary school situations. Uh, one teacher confessed that she's got uh, 40 students but only 25 desks inside of her classroom. And so I want to ask you to unite with me in prayer about those teachers and about those children. You know, schools are very, very, very dear to my heart. We have a school that we run from kindergarten to high school uh, right here at our church in Harlem. Started out with a breakfast program where we serve breakfast. We've served over one million meals. And I got to tell you, I wanna, without your support out there across America and the world, we would not have the kind of school. Now, we got enough classrooms and, and chairs for our students Praise Almighty God that we do because of your love, your prayers, and your support. But my prayers go out to the students there and the teachers there in Oklahoma. And then there's another situation that's going on right here in New York City. The yellow cab and the green cab and the so-called gypsy cab drivers are under great threat by this now, if you will, online car service called Uber and Lyft. And then they've got a few others, Carmel, which is 6666666, which is the devil's numbers. And men and women who purchased medallions years ago, upwards of $150,000, $200,000, which was a business certificate to drive and pick up people in New York City, are now finding themselves homeless, uh, having to go to food pantries, where they paid a quarter of a million dollars for a certificate to do business on the streets of New York. But Uber and Lyft and others, and I'm very concerned about cab drivers. Uh, I remember when I was on, on the down and out many years ago, I drove a gypsy cab. Because uh, I'd have no other way to immediately get money. You just get a cab, start driving, picking up people, and you pick up $30, $40, $50 a night, whatever it was I was able to do. Uh, so I, can't, so I, I want you to pray for the teachers in Oklahoma. That, that's an awful thing that's going on down there. Where's our, 
the state uh, the, uh, governors and elected elected officials there in Oklahoma need to do something about that school situation. Don't let that the, 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 don't, don't, do something about that. And and then I, I think we're gonna chase Uber out of town. And I I, I, I boycott Uber, boycott Lyft. These people. You got a man who's, you know, he's working someplace else. He gets in his car, put an Uber sign in his window, and, and he cuts into the, and he's got another job. No, I ain't for that. I'm, I, I say boycott Uber. Boycott live. Now, and give the man who spent all that money. There are people who I know a lot of who members of our church and fathers of our students at our school. They're in there living by picking up, by passing it, and they don't work for Uber. You know, and Uber's a global organization running these self-driving cars with a gazillion dollar business everywhere. No, boycott Uber. I had boycott Uber and live. Now let's pray for Oklahoma school teachers. I'm James David Manning, everybody. I'm the Lord's servant.
My friends, Americans, Hamites, Canaanites, lend me your ears. I need to explain to you that tribulation Trump is controlled by the Russian mafia, not just the Russian oligarchs of Vladimir Putin, but he's controlled by the Russian mafia. Um, he borrowed money from the Long Sharks and Brighton Beach here in New York City when the banks in America refused to give him money. He has expanded and extended his borrowing money and laundering money for the Russian oligarchs who have robbed the Kremlin and all the Russian people of their money and become wealthy to the tune of uber billionaires out of Russia. And Trump has been integral and a part of that process. And right now, Russia is calling the shots. You may have heard of late that it was the Kremlin that announced that there will be a summit or a meeting between uh, Tribulation Trump and Vladimir Putin at the White House very soon. That announcement did not come from Sarah Hunt, uh, Huckabee Sanders or from the American press. It came from the Kremlin. When there's something happening between Tribulation Trump and Vladimir Putin, Trump is not allowed to be the first to announce it. Russia, Putin is controlling Tribulation Trump, even press conferences and announcements. That boy is controlled by Russia. There's no doubt about it. That, and if we can stop dilly-dallying around as and wondering what it is, he's controlled by Russia. Now, I want to say some things that of late I've had, and the reason why, as when I challenged Obama and I was threatened with death and the CIA and others, I discovered that my only safety was to move forward and not to shrink back from the Rush, Russian mafia, the Russian hit jobs. But let me tell you what I want to say to you now. And I believe that would be the only thing that will save my life going forward is that I want to call for Hamites and Canaanites to unite with Mexicans. Now, listen to me very carefully while uh, Mexicans are Canaanites. They have a different flavor about them. Latin American people, Honduras and Belize and Costa Rica and Guatemala and Panama and Mexico uh, and, and, and parts of South America, Colombia, Venezuela. But I, I want to say something to you. That the Congress, the J-Fifth Congress is not going to do anything to stop tribulation Trump. Robert Mueller knows as well as now I have been informed that they control America now. Russia, Putin controls Trump, thus they controlling us. And there, there is nothing that can be done. I mean, we can do all the investigating and, and you won't. But the Japheth racists who see this as something that they can get back at the former slaves, not even looking at the fact that Trump is completely controlled, lock, stock, and barrel. That boy don't go to the bathroom without first asking Vladimir Putin. You can obfuscate that. You can say what you want. And the, 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 the trilogy here 
is that Putin has been able to discover that there are enough hate-filled, godless, Japheth people in America who will support Trump and obfuscate the fact that he's run, that he's ruled completely by Russia. Completely. That boy does not make one decision without first talking to Putin. So here's what God has said. That Ham and Canaan will get together. All the people that Trump hates are the same people that Vladimir Putin hates. He hates the Mexicans. He hates the Muslims. He definitely hates Canaan and Ham, the black or the African-American or the Negro or the colored people. He definitely hates them. Now, we can do this or we can suffer and become a satellite of the Russian nation throughout the period of the tribulation. My life right now is at stake. I, I said my life right now is at stake. Because my call for Canaan and Ham and the Mexicans to go Sabbath and do no labor will stop the world economy dead cold and will put Canaan and Ham in absolute control. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 1 and, and verse 1 and following that during the days of Pharaoh and the slaves that were Jews, that it became so plenty of so many of them and they ran everything, as we pointed out earlier, that Pharaoh gave the order to kill all the male babies that were born. Perchance, they would grow and outnumber the Egyptians and thus take over the land. And Pharaoh was right and ordered the killing of Jewish boys. Moses escaped and later came back and rescued them all. Listen to me very carefully. The Jews were in Egypt because God sent them there as slaves. And after a period of slavery, they then owned Egypt. And Pharaoh knew it politically. Pharaoh knew that they owned Egypt politically. Moses came and announced it. The Bible is clear. Can I share this with you? Canaan and Ham have been... Uh, appointed as slaves to Japheth and Shem here in America and in the Caribbean. And after a period of years, just like the appointment of slaves of the Jews to the Egyptian, Canaan and Ham now owns America, Mexico, Latin America, and all the Caribbean. We own it, but we must realize it's our labor and our unity of labor under the Sabbath day. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let, and at first he said, let us go for just a three-day journey out into the desert to worship our God, Jehovah. That's what he first said. Let us go and worship our God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. 
like the white evangelicals and the Japheth people, the Billy Graham's heart and tribulation Trump, like their hearts are hardened. The average uneducated Japheth man and woman across America, their hearts are hardened. They won't let the slaves go. And so finally God brought wrath. But, but Moses asked for a holy Sabbath. Let my people go so they can worship the Lord and they'll come back. Well, they won't go come back and Moses was, well, Moses won't only up and up, I'll tell you that. But God has sent me, my name is James David Manning, to say to every Hamite, every Canaanite, and Mexicans are Canaanites, Latin Americans, South Americans, the Caribbean slave, you are Canaanite. Unite. If these two, three groups come together, it will stop the world economy. We'll even let Muslims in on it because we're going to lead them to Jesus. We'll let Muslims in because if Trump has such an intense hatred and if Japheth has such an intense hatred, it must be because God is aligning our, our prophecy and prophetic future together. We'll let them in. Mexicans, Muslims, Canaanites, Hamites, all we have to do is worship the Lord on the Sabbath day. We don't have to march. We don't have to vote. We don't have to protest. But we will stop a trillion dollar economy, a multi-trillion dollar economy, and moreover, moreover, we will demand what is rightfully ours, like the gold and the silver that the Jews demanded before leaving their servitude. We will demand absolute payment from Japheth, from Russia, from the land of winter for all of the years of service that we have rendered. Thus saith the Lord, his name is Jesus. I said, thus saith the Lord, his name is Jesus, his name is Jesus. Thus saith the Lord, Ham, Canaan, unite, unite under the Sabbath day, not marching, not protesting. And let me further state that Japheth has been cursed. He can't stop you. You don't ever have to fear him again. Now, he's got a lot of guns, but he's cursed. Tribulation Trump is greatly compromised. You don't have to fear him. You don't have to fear the governor of Mississippi. You don't have to fear Japheth ever again, though he's got guns. The Sabbath will be your shield and your buckler. You don't ever have to fear him again. And he knows the bottom line. You don't ever have to fear him again. If you can't get a Mexican or a Canaanite or a Hamite, well, the Mexicans are Canaanites, to work on the Sabbath, his world ends immediately and you are in control. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. His name is Jesus. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Now there are a couple of segments and then I'm through. If you don't do this, then you're going to find yourselves in the gulag of the world's largest ice-covered snow country on the planet working in. If you don't do it, Vladimir Putin is coming to take Mexico City. 
If you don't do it, Vladimir Putin is coming to take Jamaica. If you don't do it, you will find yourselves in the outpost of the Gulag. It's up to you. But Putin has made the decision as a demon that he wants to dominate the world. He now owns America. America, not, America now is Congress, is governors, is economy, is Facebook, is Amazon. Why do you think Trump's going after Amazon? It ain't about the Washington Post. It's because Trump told him to do it. They own Facebook. America cannot wiggle or wee-wee without Vladimir Putin, the only people he does not control is Ham and Canaan. That's the only ones he cannot and will not control because of God's blessings upon our lives. You pray about it. You pray about it. But if the only place you can enter into understanding this, know this, that tribulation Trump will not say or make a policy or appoint a person or do a deed without first checking with Vladimir Putin. That's right. And every other announcement about their interaction, as you will note, will come from the Kremlin, not from, the, not from Washington. Washington is no longer in charge. It's Moscow that's in charge. It's Moscow. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up, America! Wake up, Ham! Canaan, wake up! And get under the power of the Sabbath day. I'm James Evan Manning, everybody. I'm the Lord's servant. Outlaw. That's what God said. That's what God said. That's what God said. I want to tell you about a member of our church. Her name is Mother Cooper. And Mother Cooper hails from South Carolina. She's been in New York nearly uh, 60 some years and been going to watch seven now. I won't tell you how old she is. And Mother Cooper reminds me of the widow uh, of two mites in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 42. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 2, that Jesus was in the, going into the temple, he was in the vestibule area, and people were putting money in the, the, the collection plate there. And this widow came in, and widows in the tradition of the Jewish heritage could not work, could not own property, and if they didn't have the husbands or sons or nephews to take care of them, they were just out. And all she had was two mites. And the Bible says she gave it uh, for the work of the ministry. A lot of people say that they don't have anything to give to this ministry. They like it, they love my preaching and everything, but they feel comfortable by not giving because they say to themselves they don't have anything to give. Uh, but that's not true. And, and God knows it's not true. What they're saying is that, uh, unlike Mother Cooper who gives, I've heard, she only gets $700 a month, she gives 10% of that to the Lord every month without fail. Uh, but what people do is that they prioritize. They say, I, I have to do other things before I give. But giving should be first. It is the planting of the seed. It is the honoring of the Lord. Giving should be before you get other things done. But more specifically, most times you can get those other things done as well as giving. Just to be prompted in your heart, 
that we fed over a million children meals here in the Harlem, New York City area. We have a high school education system that we do through grade kindergarten through, through high school. And we reach you every day. And it costs a lot to do this. You need to put us on your priority list. Stop pushing us to the curb. And do the Mother Cooper thing. Make sure you give and tithe. Uh, and stop saying that you can or don't have it because we recognize that you can and that you should. And you know how. I'm today presenting uh, a couple of versions of the, uh, the reading of the present tea leaves regarding Tribulation Trump um, and who he is uh, on the world stage as a servant of Satan. And I, I'm going to let you listen to some things that was discussed with uh, uh, Chris Hayes uh, and uh, Stephen Schmidt recently. Uh, and there's summation, uh, more in a political way, of some of the things that I'm saying in a more biblical, stomped down, Pentecostal, if you will, Holy Ghost feel, anointed preacher way. Uh, but they do have an observation that I think uh, is, is valuable to many of you. So I'm going to ask the engineer if he please roll that clip as they give their summation of the, the world dilemma we find ourselves in with this orange haired coochie grabber named Tribulation Trump. It's almost like a social psychology experiment because you can observe the way that it has an effect on the way other people conduct themselves, right? So it's not just that Donald Trump acts this way. It's that it's the, the fish rotting from the head down. That It seems like everyone in the administration is viewing it as essentially a kind of smash and grab. Look, we're in uncharted territory here, and I, and I don't think that we really out. have pondered it as deeply as we need to, the level of corruption. This is, this is unprecedented in the modern history of the country. You have General Flynn on the inaugural platform, the National Security Security Council, 11 minutes into the speech, is on his cell phone trying to do a nuclear deal with Russian interests. You have, forgot that you, have, you have Jared Kushner, uh, the head of City and Apollo Group, coming into the West Wing of the White House and then loaning outside of their normal processes and outside of their normal loan arrangements. $500 million? This is the type of stuff that goes on in banana republics, not in a constitutional republic governed by the rule of law. We've seen a total collapse of oversight on the part of the Republican majority in the House and Senate. Everywhere you look in this cabinet, you see malfeasance, you see corruption. Big corruption, little corruption, petty criminals next to the major grifters and the real criminals in all of this. And I think that when we look back on this era 10 years from now, we will see fundamental changes to so many aspects of campaign finance reform, to disclosure. So this can never, ever happen again. But this season of corruption that we're in the middle of is real. It's not normal. It's completely unprecedented. And it's getting worse. You know, it reminds me, what you said about reminds me of what happens post-Watergate, right? Because what happens is Watergate is a very specific set of, of crimes. Yeah, right? Right? Chris then there's this incredible push for, we basically inaugurate modern campaign finance, all these sort of ethics reforms, precisely to change the rules so that things that may not have been outside the rules now will be outside the rules. Yes, that could definitely happen. But I, I do want to disagree with one of Jonathan Chait's premise. And Please. I think you sort of touched on this. I don't agree that this is going to wind up being more important than the Russia investigation. I think that, as you pointed out, the Russia investigation, if it 
establishes what many people are concerned that it might, is going to uncover a form of corruption. After all, it's dealing with a foreign power for personal political gain and putting the country's security at risk and undermining our democratic institutions. And I don't think that's going to go over terribly well if indeed that's the case that Bob Mueller makes. That's a great point, and it also is part of a broader scenario, right? We talk about Russia, but to your point, right? I mean, we know that Flynn was an unregistered foreign agent of Turkey. We have uh, credible accounts that the Kushner family tried to get a loan from the Qataris, and then when they were turned down for said loan, it's possible that Jared Kushner advised the U.S. government to essentially apply the force of the American state against the Qataris as a kind of punishment. This is like... This is this is corruption, not just sort of, you know, I'm getting a condo deal. This is essentially losing sight of what American interests are on behalf of whatever whoever's paying your paycheck. Yeah, people will die because of it, a hundred percent. It's it's corruption on an on an epic scale. Um, and the scenario you just outlined with the Qataris and Jared Kushner seems highly likely circumstantially, in fact, that that's exactly what happened. What we do know for sure is we sit here and we see all of these revelations over the course of the last year and a half. We know more than we used to, but we don't know very much compared to what Robert Mueller knows. And so the notion that the Russia story, the interference, the active measures in the election process are somehow unrelated. Right. They are inexorably tied to this rotten administration and the corruption it's, that you see everywhere. You look at the EPA administrator point. running around with a 30-person security detail, which I suspect is larger than former President Obama's and Bush's, but by any clinical definition of the word. Scott Pruitt is corrupt. This, before now, would not have been tolerated in this country by a member of either a Republican or a Democratic administration. It's corruption. Uh, just on that point, Scott Pruitt, the New York Times, uh, sort of running down what business was before the EPA from the lobbyist couple that was loaning, that was uh, renting him the $50 a night condo that he didn't have to pay for the nights he wasn't there, which, nice perk. Uh, and it turns out the EPA approved a lot of their projects. Now, you don't know if there's a quid pro quo, but it's precisely that's the reason that you don't have this set up. Well, if you have the president having organized his business interests the way he did, then you covered that in your opening, right? The operation of his business interests and the fairly flagrant way with which he's maintained him, the total lack of transparency into how he's running those businesses. Then, of course, he sends a signal out to the rest of the administration that the deep state is sort of available to have its pockets picked. Right. I, uh, I want to again say to Mexicans, Canaanites, and Hamites uh, globally, uh, that you need to honor the Sabbath day, otherwise you're going to be consumed by this uh, rampant, runaway uh, corruption that's going on in America and the fact that we're now under authoritarian rule uh, of Vladimir Putin. And I'm not sure that the Japheth or the Evangelists, because they've got the preachers with them that they're going to be able to rescue that will ever turn this around except you do it under the strength of Almighty God. Having said that, I sent out a tweet uh, that Sean Hannity and Alex Jones, I've been watching them descend into hysteria uh, in their support for Tribulation Trump. Uh, and at first I thought it was simply because they wanted to keep their audience uh, of evangelicals and Japheth racists that, uh, that frequent their, their broadcast media. Uh, and so they had to continue to throw red meat to the racist Japheth evangelicals 
Um, and I sur surmised oh, a year ago, nine months ago, that that was a reason. But they have descended into a, a, a place that it, it is beyond just trying to keep your base, pay your bills, uh, and be relevant, um, unlike what has happened to Glenn Beck who, or the Pastor Chuck Baldwin, who have taken a stand against tribulation Trump, that uh, these men have descended into something that appears to me, I mean, I, 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 I've never sat down and had dinner with Alex Jones, but I know him. I've been on his broadcast any number of times over a goodly number of years, eight, seven, eight years, nine years. Um, I, I never sat down and had dinner with uh, Sean Hannity, but I know him and uh, he knows of me quite well. Uh, but I don't know these people now. And let me put it in context. Uh, I remember uh, meeting with Sean Hannity when he was fiercely uh, opposed to Barack Hussein, the long-legged Mac Daddy Obama. And with all of his strength, uh, he was under the oppression of Obama's presidency um, and would do just about anything. And I saw the level of his extremes and extremities uh, in response to Obama's presidency. And likewise, the same thing with Alex Jones. I, I fellowshiped with them, uh, with Alex for years on his broadcast, um, under duress. I'm an illegal president. Uh, under the lease of the, the under the duress of the 9/11 event, and I saw the level at which Alex would demonstrate extremes or extremities. I don't know these people. I don't know these men anymore. They have descended way beyond the basement of where they were with 9/11 and with Barack Obama. They're not normal anymore. I mean, Sean Hannity has just gone off the deep end. And it isn't about trying to garner support or popularity or keep their audiences and throwing out red meat. It isn't. I, I, I want to suggest to you potentially that Alex and Sean have been accosted by the Russian mafia and have been told that they better keep their listeners in line. They better keep their listeners behind tribulation Trump. Don't let not one of those redneck evangelicals leave Trump. Don't let one of those preachers get away, but keep them all lined up like little ducks because they both have mega men, mega men, and now Laura Ingram is in the mix along with Gene uh, uh, Shapiro, uh, Piro, I can never get that witch's name correct. No, I, I know these people. I, 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 and I know many of the Japheth racist, evangel hate-filled evangelicals that I march with in the Tea Party. They have gone way beyond the Tea Party opposition and spirit of Obama. This is something different. It appears to me that these persons are under either threat of death from the Russian mafia, if they turn to the right or to the left, or if they speak the truth. I, 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 I've never seen, I mean, Sean, have you seen the descent into which, the hole in which they've crawled into?
They're not journalists anymore. They're not objective about anything anymore. I think they're, I think they're actually, I think they're singing for their lives every time they go on the air. But that, that's some other thing. One other thing I think I need to talk about is this, is that um, when it comes to tribulation, Trump, he's under a similar kind of situation. Well, he, whether he's got his salacious, his, 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 his lewd sexual lifestyle that's on film uh, by, by Vladimir Putin, not to mention that he owes uh, a, a ton of money uh, to the Russians. They can call his debt saying anytime he owes a money launderer. All of that uh, can be exposed. And we already know that exists, and there's no real big deal. But I, 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 I sense, I don't, I, I sense Alex and Sean are under death threats. Because that's how people act when they are, or their children, or their relatives. Okay, you know, the mafia, they love to kill your children. They, 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 they rule by threatening your family members. I swear I believe Alex and, um, and Sean are at that point, and, and Tribulation Trump as well. But I, I believe that Vladimir Putin now has um, a, 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 the power to turn off our lights globally. And, and by the way, he has this power, or if he has this power, whoever may you, whatever might be your position, I'll have to tell you that he was able to get into our electric grid under the Obama administration. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. It was the Obama administration that allowed Tribulation Trump. I believe Tribulation Trump can cut off the Northeast power grid and... No planes will fly. In fact, if, if, if Vladimir Putin cut off the Northeast power grid, radar would go down, backup generators would fail, and planes would be in the sky with nowhere and no landing lights. It would be hell on earth. It would, Jesus would have to look up and say, even when I prophesied the tribulation, even when I prophesied the tribulation, Nobody could see it as bad as that. At 7 o'clock at night on the eastern seaboard, all of the, the air traffic systems go down. All of the landing lights go out. All of the communication systems back. All the trains and elevators stop running. And I believe that Putin has the power to do that. And I think he got it under the Obama administration. And, and, and Trump knows that he has it. And we're in trouble. No, you, and, and I think most of the people, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, I think they all know it. And how do we get out of it? I, 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 Kim Jong-un knows it, and Xi Jinping, they also know it. They know it. They know it. Now, we're, we are at a time and point where the tribulation words of the Bible will seem like little flowers in failure of describing how gross the hell that's coming our way that lies ahead of us. But can I share just one other thing, and I, I promise not to, uh, not, not to inflict myself upon you any further, that 
Canaan and Ham. That we have got our hand on the light switch of the world. And we can stop the world. Canaan and Ham, we can stop the world, including Vladimir Putin. We, we got more power. We got more power than Russia, China. But China really is on our side. We, and we may have to make a visit to China to explain to them, explain to Xi Jinping, he's a Hamite. Explain to Kim Jong-un, he's a Hamite. But we have got more power. We got God's power. We got God's power. When Moses went down to Egypt, Pharaoh was a powerful man. Don't you ever forget it. And the whole world knew it. But Moses had a word from God in his mouth. I don't know if you realize it, Canaan. I don't know if you realize it, Ham. I don't know if you know who you are. First of all, know that Japheth has been cursed of God. It's Japheth whose power grid will go down. It's Japheth whose government will be shut down. It's Japheth's churches that are blaspheming and are full of filth. It is Japheth that has turned sodomy into a national anthem. It is Japheth. It is Japheth. It is Japheth. That's who it is. And Shem. They say they were Jews, but they are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Canaan, Ham, you simply start with the Sabbath. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every word spoken against you in judgment will be proven to be wrong. I'm James Evan Manning, everybody. I'm the Lord's servant. They know I've survived some of the most brutal attacks, death threats, fire bombings, lies, assaults. They know I'm in here. They know I'm in here. They know I'm in here. They know there's a man in here. James Brown said, open up the door and let a man come in. They know there's a man in here. There's a man in this. They know it. There's a man in this church. They know it. They stood up to Obama and didn't back up. Marched against her. They know there's a man. There's a stoop down. There's a man in this house. They know it. And not they don't come in here because they don't agree. They don't want to come in here because they know they're going to come in here and meet a man. They walk by. They feel the vibrations of the church. They feel the vibrations of the building. There's a man in here. Look at him. Look at him. This man. Couldn't beat him. Police couldn't beat him. Obama couldn't beat him. Prison couldn't keep him. Desertion. People running away. And he's still preaching.
That was a part of our worship service, this resurrection celebration of this weekend. Were you there <laughs> when they crucified my Lord? And you, I, I need to make an appeal uh, to Hamites and Canaanites in particular. Um, if you have banking skills, investment skills, if you understand investment uh, protocol licensed by the uh, securities exchange commissions and understand the level of major world banking. If you have hotel uh, and property management skills, if you understand hotel management at its highest level, 
if you understand the process of property management development and you have been uh, expertised in that through your experiences and also through your training, I want to talk to you. But also if you have communications uh, skills, that is the knowing how to message information, uh, ideals, and how to get them, how to communicate them in various genres to various levels of people who receive at varying understandings, communications, and also political organizing skills to organize people, to organize vastness of opportunities. Um, and uh, you, if you have these skills, I want to tell you uh, about a, a project that Almighty God has set in order and given you an opportunity uh, to become someone extraordinary. The Lord has sent me to talk to you about raising a half a billion dollars uh, to purchase the Tribulation Trump properties, uh, to purchase Mar-a-Lago, to purchase uh, the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C., Trump Tower in New York City. A half a billion dollars would be the investment startup money to be able to do that without a problem. Now. Uh, Trump is presently uh, going forward, there's a case going forward against him on the emoluments clause that Trump has been using in the presidency to line his own pockets, the pockets of his children, the pockets of his friends, the pockets of Ben Carson, the pockets of, of the, the Pruitt uh, EPA, the pockets of a number of people uh, that have been a part of his uh, Steve Mnuchin has spent over a million dollars in flights, and everybody is getting rich with extraordinary malfeasance and money ripping off. And, and not just that, but he's ripped off the Treasury for $1.5 million, he and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, and he's going to have to sell his properties. And Tribulation Trump said of Africa and Haiti in particular that it was an S-hole, a feces hole, a dung hole. And God's revenge is that we would come together. And the reason why the number five million has been selected is because I responded to tribulation Trump. Now listen to me very carefully so you can align yourself with this because you don't want to miss it. I responded and told Trump, don't you ever talk about Africa that way. Don't you ever talk about Haiti. Don't you ever talk about Ham or Canaan the way you've done. I went out there as mama uh, for having done so. Five million people saw it on a YouTube posting that Janice Benz put up and 100,000 people saw it on our video and, world, and Bossip had 100,000 and I think uh, some other world play hip hop had a few thousand as well. But we've selected 5 million as a start. 5 million people to give $100 for the fund that would be managed by an investment specialist, banking specialist, uh, to be able to purchase tribulation Trump profits when they go on the auction block, because they will. And uh, that those properties will then be turned over to the children of Ham and Canaan. The Haitians can come and uh, have their school there in uh, Mar-a-Lago, or the Trump International Hotel can be kept as a hotel managed by people who are going to come and answer the call with hotel management skills or property management skills, or it can be turned into a major school, a major institution of education. Also, Trump Tower right here in New York City. Now, we have stated 
that those that will give $100, and people are giving already, one man gave $700 for himself and all of his children. We will issue to you a Hamite and Canaanite um, a gold uh, bond certificate for the $100 that you'll get this in the mail with your name on it, uh, stating that, well, in the event that things go south or for whatever reason, which they will not, but for your assurance purchases that your funds will be returned to you should things not go so well. But this is the certificate that you will receive. But I'm also now calling as we now begin to collect monies, people are now sending funding in. I need to call for a meeting of people who have, if you're a Hamite or Canaanite, you must be a Hamite or Canaanite. No, I, 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 well, I'll tell you what. If you come from one of the asshole nations, if you're a Japheth, then you can join. If you come from an asshole nation, where Trump called the asshole nation, if you come from any nation, then you, but this is about revenge of those that have been given the dung feces designation by tribulation. Trump, it ain't racism. But we're calling, if you have banking and investment skills, we want to put together a meeting sometime in the future, the date of which will be announced and we'll all come together as we receive the funds. We're working to get at least 5 million Hamites and Canaanites to give. We may get 10 million. We may get 20 million. Thus, we got $2 billion to work with. We'll buy Trump out. This is a revenge move. I'll have to, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God wants this word to get out. So put it up in your man cave, let your boys come over, your homies come over, put it up in the beauty salons, talk about it wherever you are, share it with your friends and members, and, and, and look at this. God wants Trump to know amid everything else that's going on in his life that not only Robert Mueller's coming for him, but the Hamites and the asshole nations are coming for him too. Once we raise our first uh, $100 million dollars, well, maybe, but why don't we just, uh, once we raise our first $50 million, the news will be spread abroad. We're going to hold a major news conference that we have put together $50 million on our way to $500 million, a half a billion dollars for 5 million Hamites and Canaanites, giving $100 each. And every Hamite and Canaanite got $100. Even your children got $100. And, you know, you'll get a certificate stating that you can get it back. So now it's a very important uh, that we say to Trump, don't you ever talk about us like that, and we're going to buy you out, homeboy. So I, and, and in addition to that, I'd like to say that I'm calling for men and women to come to stand with me. Maybe you know me, you've been listening to me, you don't like some of the things I've said, you didn't understand why I was so against you know, Africans and Obama and everything, but now things are pretty much becoming clear and you, you see my heart, you understand that. You're willing to deal with that and you're willing to put all that behind you and, 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 and trust me as a righteous man, as a stand-up, stomp-down man. I need you to come. I need strong men and women to come stand with me. Uh, we're going to have to circle the wagons against the forces that will want to stop a clear thinking voice like mine with a vision and a word from Almighty God. This week, uh, th th this past resurrection, you call it Easter, a unique experience. We were able to bring Japheth, Shem, 
and Ham and Canaan together in one worship service, and we all drank from the same communion cup. It's been rare that we're able to get that many Japheth people to, to serve and sit down and have communion. In the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was a unique experience. I'll show it to you. Uh, it was just a blessed day assembled to, that we're bringing all races and all nations of people together. Because though I've been speaking heavily against Japheth evangelicals, many of them are going to walk with us in the 1,000-year reign of peace. I brought Elder McFarquhar and his wife up on the platform uh, so that we would have a presentation of, of, of strong families and strong men. My, my other elders were sitting there as well with their wives. Uh, and we have this beautiful presentation of, 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 of Ham, Japheth, and Shem uh, all worshiping together. It was a great experience. But times now I need to call not just for investment bankers, hotel management property, and for people to give the $100, but I, if you have been listening to me, and you, okay, so you're all right, you were a little upset with me about Obama and some of the things I've said, but you're now seeing that things are not getting better. It's horrible what they did to Alton Sterling down there in Louisiana. It's horrible what they did to Eric Garner out there in Staten Island. That little old short policeman jumped on his back like a monkey on his back and choked him to death while the other policeman held him down. Eric Garner over two dollars worth of cigarettes. They shot Stephon Clark in the back. And you heard me and I told you that it wasn't going to change. I told you the curse of God on Chicago. That a black president's not going to happen. Obama been gone out of office for over a year now, and they're still shooting down young men. Shooting them in the back, too. Because the black president. So now maybe you're ready to see, well, I see what you said, Pastor. I see that your love is really, well, beyond my initial kindergarten parochial understanding. You are a true stoke-down brother who tell us the truth, because you know the truth is what sets us free. And look how God has prospered you, and now he's put this vision in your hand to buy up Trump properties. The s-hole nation is going to come up and give that boy the grief like he ain't never had before. I'm I need you to come on over here to the church. Sit down. You got to come. Humble yourself. Recognize I'm God's servant. Recognize I'm going to teach God's word, pure and simple, Old Testament, New Testament. No, I'm not for sodomy. I'm against it. It's a lie on God. It's a lie on Jesus. It's a lie on humanity. It's a lie on creation. But come on over. Because there's no place else to go. But there ain't no place else to go. Where you going to go? To the Goodwill Baptist or the, you know, where you going to go? There's nowhere else to go. You can't get another higher office than the office of president. And that failed you. Ask Stephon Clark. Ask his mama. Ask his, ask his woman. Did the black president stop them bullets from ripping his body apart in his grandmama's yard? Ask him. No. But God will. The Lord will. This vision of righteous men, it will. No, it will. And so come on over. Well, you say, well, Pastor, you know, I'm going to come on over because I, we've seen everything else. We didn't try everything else. Maybe we need to hear you now. Maybe we need to hear you. You're a true brother. That's right. So come on and let's get with it. Let's get this work done. Let's get this hotel taken care of. Let's raise this funds and let's go on.
because I'm going to call for all Hamites and Canaanites and Mexicans worldwide and Muslims too. Unite under the Sabbath day. And maybe God wants the Muslims in this because he wants the Muslims to show you how to Sabbath. Yes. All right, my friends, so come on over here and join the church. Those of y'all are local is what I was just making my appeal to a few moments ago. Let me make that clear. If you're local, if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, come on so you can sit with me uh, on Saturday when I worship, on Friday, I mean on Wednesday when we do Bible study, and you can, you're local when our meetings and when we're doing what you're local, you can come and bring your family and your children, and, and you can fellowship, and we can stand up, and we can be assembled to the world. If you're local, if you live way out there in Texas, someplace, you know, or way over there in Europe somewhere where we know it's a little difficult, but you can be united in your love, your prayers, and your financial support. And those of you who have the skills, go ahead and get this word out. Tell people they're going to get a certificate. They give $100, they're going to get a certificate. Tell them. And uh, tell your family and friends about it as well. And do like the man that gave $700 who gave for not for just himself and his wife and for his children as well. Because this is historic. You want your children to be a part of the purchase of Mar-a-Lago. We're going to go down there and going to celebrate and going to have a great time with Haitians and Africans up in Mar-a-Lago and also the Trump International Hotel. This is historic. You want to be a part of this. There ain't never been nothing, not since Marcus Garvey, all these other Civil rights leader been asking the, the Japheth man to give them something. Marcus Garvey organized. Marcus Garvey and Booker T. Washington organized. Marcus Garvey organized Harlem. Yes, he did. He bought three major ships. He had a snake inside that sold him out, and they ended up down there in Jamaica uh, after the courts dealt with him very cruelly because he was set up. But Marcus Garvey's done this before. Marcus did it when I'm sitting in Marcus' seat. I'm sitting on right across the street from where I'm at now is Marcus Garvey Park. Marcus did this. Long live Marcus Garvey and the purchase of Mar-a-Lago. Long live Marcus Garvey and the purchase of Mar-a-Lago. Long live Marcus Garvey and the purchase of Mar-a-Lago. I'm James Evan Manning, everybody. I'm the Lord's servant. Tremble, tremble